It's Flatchat episode 92 presented by T-Mobile. And I'm here with, I'm here with Deepay. I was trying to bring some energy into the show, you know? I'm trying to- mm. Just only, uh, just only here with Deepay, not anyone else? No? <laughs> well, no okay, else, huh? we are here, no yes, here? of just course. Just me inside show. We're here with other people as well, but a vast, the reason that I said Deepay and not you is because Deepay is not usually on the show. Whereas at this point, you've become a permanent <laughs> fixture, like, the, like this, like this McCree picture, which I have no idea where it's from, but it's just been here since the beginning. And all the other stuff that's on the set, like the plant, that's been here for a while, that's hasn't fine. it? That's like you. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Welcomed as a guest up until Avas was talking, and then I, I felt unwelcome as a guest. Uh, that's yeah. my goal here. That's yeah. my goal here. <laughs> we welcome to make you, everyone feel unwelcome. I welcome you. I, I am not a host or anything. I'm just like the the, the, the person opening the door. You know, welcome into the warmth, Deepay. Mm. We go. Now Saito can take care of you. He can guide you around the house, etc. But I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be how's by the your, door. You how's me. your week or two? How long has it even been? I guess it's been two weeks what? off, actually, since the Gladiators last played a game, right? Because you guys were in the qualification run for towards the June Joust. Must have been like a week and a half or something. Wouldn't it be like almost three? Is it? I think oh, it's three because right, yeah. we don't play Hawaii. We have a one-week break, and then we've had one week of practice. So far. Right. So okay. Three weeks. Yeah. What, what have you been uh, keeping yourself busy with? Picking up any new hobbies? Got into knitting? The the breaks are actually great because uh, it's painful because uh, you just have a ton of free time that you're not used to. I got into basketball, so that's cool. Uh, hey. Yeah. And I'm trying to be more fashionable as well. Like I bought a watch and stuff. Glasses and I own two I'm pairs of the gladiators pants now. merch. Is that just a plug two for gladiators? Pairs of merch? Pants? That's pretty good. <laughs> That's not bad. It's one more than I had before, let me tell you. <laughs> Are they the actual pants though? Wait, hold up. Is it like shorts you wear at practice, you know, and walk around better? Is it actual like long pants? I feel like that's no, an important like distinction to make. Pants. Like I'm not talking about like like sweats don't count. You know, like I'm talking about like pants I would go go out. Oh, okay. like some yeah. ch some chinos, some khakis, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. something nice like How that. How many do you I have? Just jeans. I have like four or five, I think. Four or five. Just, did you just manspread all over? This, yeah, he kind of dropped that one. Yeah. Wow. I'm just asserting my dominance here. That's the have advantage you been, uh, I get. Have been doing some squats, doing some your, quad raises? Your all of your cams good, are Josh. so small, you know, because you're not you're not here in person. Whereas me, I can spread. I can be as <laughs> far and wide as I possibly like. No, thank you for coming on the show, man. It's going to be fun to get your perspective because, like I said last week, this is a bit of a different show because we're in we're slap bang in the middle of the season. If you don't count the playoffs, um, but who does? Um, the, the this episode was a bit more of like a looking at the half of the season that's already gone and then making some predictions or looking at the awards and seeing who are front runners, that kind of stuff to, to begin with. But I wanted to kick things off. Uh, by asking you just about the Gladiators season so far. Sorry? Oh! Sorry, you are absolutely right. It slipped my mind completely. And for that, actually, talking about what, uh, what Deepay was up to, I want to know what Jonathan was up to recently. Wait, I mean, I was just on a vacation, Sideshow. Where were you? What do you, you mean? Where were you? I was in Maine, actually. Uh, oh. close to Massachusetts, where uh, Avast. Where did you actually? You never lived in Boston, did you? Except no, you I went to Boston, but I never actually lived in Boston. I never got to yeah. experience that beautiful city of brotherly love. I think that's Philly, yeah. not Boston. Philly yeah, yes, yeah, Boston. Boston. yes. But that area of the country is really pretty. 
So I went there for a week with my girlfriend. I went to Maine, okay? Boston is in Massachusetts, but I've already mixed them up twice. So I'm not going to do that again. But Maine, it's lovely, Josh. It really okay. is. And I do recommend you to go. You know, I've heard some stories about the outdoors don't like you. You know, you get some... You get some irritations while you're out there. You know, the animals don't agree with you. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Irritations. When you put it like that. I it as irritations. Like he's allergic to sunlight. Like one of those tragic Victorian children. It's agoraphobic, yeah. yeah maybe. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I'm just saying nature doesn't agree with Josh, so. I, I had some bug bites. I, I, I had a lot of bug bites because my we were discussing earlier before the show what blood type everybody was because Avast is very interested. He apparently is the the universal donor is that what it is no i'm the recipient i'm greedy the universal <laughs> recipient and but my blood type is just tasty rather than anything else i <laughs> yes. just love it yes if you're old blood type mosquitoes like that <laughs> and i was gonna tell my story now about how i was out in the wild and i started feeling bad mid-sentence because i was like josh can't you know enjoy it as much because he gets bug bites everywhere i don't know what's went into me i'm out of control <laughs> Okay. But yeah, the, the nature was lovely. That's all I'm saying. You know, get away from LA. I got away from computers, got away from all the electronics and stuff. Although, you know, I still have my phone, etc. Didn't browse it as much, didn't play games, that stuff. But, you know, just mountains, hiking. Um, and we actually went on a ship. We actually a went ship. on a ship. So, we, Wait, yeah, we got, we got tickets and they have these sailboats, you know, and they're made out of wood. You know, they look real old, you know, like you go on this boat and it's exciting because it's, you know, an old fashioned boat. And they invite like, you know, 25, 30 tickets or something on this single boat. You can pay for drinks. The drinks were cheap. And you just go out for like two, three hours on this uh, Atlantic Ocean. And you just, you know, take a trip. You know, it was slightly windy. So, you know, you get a nice gust, you know, the sea salt washing over you. And you're like, I'm out and about doing things. And, you know, it's quite spectacular. But That's not bad. I mean, sorry. That's not bad. That sounds like uh, no. quite the trip. No, yeah, I recommend it. 10 out of 10, Maine. Maine is really good, 10 out of 10. So we were out on this trip. I mean, it takes like three hours, right? Because you go out and then, you know, something doesn't go as planned. And the captain's like, oh boy, you know, here we go. And they yell a bunch of words like, I know, starboard. And it just like turned the ship and, you know, a bunch of shit. But so it took like three hours. We're out and about. But I was out on this ocean. And suddenly um, I had read a tweet from you that same day that you were playing Overwatch with the Plat Chat guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yep. And I, yep. I figured I haven't, I haven't seen Josh do that in so long. I haven't seen him play Overwatch with the Plat Chat guys in so long. So it just struck me as I was out and about on the Atlantic Sea, I was drinking a dark and stormy. That was actually quite cheap and really good. So credit <laughs> to the, uh, the, the crew on the ship for that one. I just, this, this thought struck me. And as we were out on the Atlantic Ocean. I pulled up my phone, and I swear to you, true story, I still had T-Mobile 5G while out on the Atlantic Ocean, okay? <laughs> none of that, none of that, you know, one bar, and it says, like, the three letters, it says, like, HTF or something, you know, and it doesn't really work. I had T-Mobile 5G while out on the waves, having the time of a life with a dark and stormy, the waves crashing onto the boat, and we were just, we could have fished, there were great white shark around you. I'm not kidding. There's great white sharks around us. We were that far out, and I still had T-Mobile 5G on this lovely phone by this lovely provider. And I could tune into your Twitch stream and check how much SR you had lost. <laughs> and it was, I, I mean, it was incredible. That just made my day. T-Mobile 5G works at sea. How many providers does that? 
Uh, do do I, the wow. read, Josh. I don't have the text. Yeah, yeah same I, things. I can't tell you how many providers work at sea, but what I can <laughs> tell you is that T-Mobile wants to be the best in the world at connecting people to their world, their earth, and sometimes their oceans. And with so much of our lives these days happening through a wireless connection, nothing but the best will do. We rely on wireless to do almost everything in life, from big deals to everyday connections to being out on the ocean looking at our friends' Twitch streams. So if you can't rely on your network, it can have big consequences. What would have happened if that ship capsized and they didn't have T-Mobile? Huh? What would have happened? Pr probably nothing. They probably would have been eaten by the great white sharks that were circling hungrily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounded like they were uh -huh. circling, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. That's why T-Mobile, well, that isn't specifically why, but as an unrelated, uh, and but also extra sentence, T-Mobile is the largest and fastest 5G network in America, and sometimes slightly off the coast of America. With coverage and speed like this, why wouldn't you go with the best around? Huh? There it you doesn't go. help you get out of gold, but it, you can watch Twitch streams at sea. I'm saying at sea, not by the shore. It was not the shore, Josh. It's not slight out of sea. I was at sea. I was on the Atlantic Ocean. We, we've done the ad read. You you put in the work. Well <laughs> just... done. Well done. <laughs> I think Did you Jonathan get the international was... roaming charges? Because you yeah. were like so far oh, yeah. at sea. Because you would no, have been no, in no. international waters. Oh, well, no, no. I assume you weren't we actually Canada, in but... international waters, though. You must have still been in the American-owned waters. I guess so. Yeah. You didn't have your, yeah. your oceanography map with you? Yeah, it's not like World of Warcraft where you press a button and it says like which zone you're in. Like I didn't know. Like there was just water everywhere. And I was okay, like, okay, yeah. Well, no, that's fair enough. That is fair enough. So. Um, okay, like I said, this is going to be a, a mid-season review. And so the first thing that I wanted to get into after our delightful little escapade, which I, I'm assuming that was a true story, Jonathan, right? Yes, it was a true story. Right, most of mine are not. So there you go. That's that's a different one. <laughs> I wanted to check in with David as well. The season so far for the Gladiators, it has been, I, I want to say up and down, but it hasn't really. It started a little bit lackluster compared to expectations, and then you guys did very well in the June joust. But perhaps, I'm, I'm just going to put these words in your mouth, perhaps some people might not have been as... Um, Perhaps those, like, the successes of the regular portion of the June Joust didn't actually end up translating into making it to Hawaii, that kind of stuff. So it's not all been perfect just yet for Gladiators. How, is the, how do you view the first half of the season for your team? Yeah, I think, really, you, you look at it and we went 0-2 and, and then we went 6-0 and from, from that point. So down and then up. Uh, I think the 0-2 was... Uh, we thought we were feeling really confident going into that first week, but at the same time, we had uh, a lot of rookie players, I think. Not a lot, but enough rookie players, I think. Uh, it was really clear to us internally that nerves were the problem. Uh, like, we did not play even, like, you know, in the Dallas match recently, we played our normal selves, and Dallas just beat us, beat us straight up. But in the shock and the Dallas matches, it was, like, very clear. Like, mentally, we weren't all there. Uh, so that was like the thing that we had to improve on the next, you know, however many weeks. That was my main focus for uh, the June Joust specifically. And I, I feel like we have achieved that goal from that point because we identified that as like a big problem. Uh, I think, you know, teams had us highly rated from Scrimbox. And I would say just anecdotally that that seemed accurate. But Scrimbox are exactly that. They're Scrimbox. They're not match uh, box. <laughs> match uh, so box. I think... <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dallas is a team that, like, actually performs extreme, like, at least 25% better in matches uh, compared mm -hmm. to scrims. 
Uh, whereas we, like, at least compared to our results at that time, we were doing like 25% worse, essentially. So uh, I think we fixed those problems and may melee, I don't think we got to show off that we were like actually a good team on that meta. Uh, just missing out by one map differential. Fucking if Boston just won one map versus Fuel, if they just won Havana, that was Don't really winnable. Too much. Don't ask yeah. too much, David. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think we could have done well in that tournament, but uh, I think it's also unfortunate we played against Dallas uh, in the Yun Jiao's tournament. I think we were the second best team in North America, but uh, I think they were the best for sure. So, I mean, definitely the best for sure. I think that's proven for sure. So... Uh, I think it's been up and down. Uh, I'm positive. I, I feel very confident going into the second half. I would mm. I would tell you otherwise if I wasn't feeling confident, I think. But I feel really confident going into the second half that you're going to see a, a new Gladiators, really. So I'm, I'm happy with our team's progress thus far this year. Avast, but it hasn't been perfect. Avast, Jonathan, what do you think about the claim that Gladiators were the second best in the June Jazz? Because it was something that I was pondering myself from the North American region, let's be clear as well, because, you know, <laughs> Shanghai, they go on and end yeah, up winning absolutely. it. But, but when we're talking about the North American region, the Gladiators were the one team... I predicted the Gladiators in that game against Dallas, actually, because I thought that you guys had shown enough ability with both ends of the meta spectrum that you were going to be able to take the win. And I was impressed by the win, at least when it came to Hollywood. I mean, getting Mirror some playtime as well has been... It's been actually... That seems to have been a challenge um, for you guys. But I'll, I'll, I'll get on to that in just a moment. Avast, Jonathan, what do you, what do you think about that, that claim? Johnny, are you ready to go first? Sure. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's a worthwhile claim. You know, if you want to look at the statistics and the results themselves... Um, Gladiators, they beat the Atlanta Reign in the qualifiers, of course. So you already have that going for you. At the same time, I, I think that the Gladiators, they looked really strong in the uh, double shield composition against the Atlanta Reign, but also being able to play um, some other stuff as well. I think, um, I think this Torb was really interesting when it came out against Dallas because we hadn't seen a ton of teams, correct me if I'm wrong here, we hadn't seen a ton of, ton of teams actually bring it out and bring it to Dallas in this kind of way, which really you know, brings about the thought like, hey, what if Atlanta Rain had brought out the Torb instead and then the Gladiators would have had another week to practice preparing for a team like Dallas, uh, preparing for the Shanghai Dragons. It's very hard to compare. I'm not going to say that the Gladiators and Atlanta Rain, which the two were stronger because I think it's pretty even. But I think that, you know, given the nature of competition, given what it's like preparing for the Dallas Fuel, I can just imagine how difficult that is, the pace they're playing at, the compositions they're playing, their style. But I really do think that either the Gladiators or the Atlanta Reign would have performed better in the actual uh, playoffs if they had an extra week to prepare for what Dallas Field were running. Because this was a really good showing by the Gladiators playing this tour composition, but it was pretty on the fly as well. So, you know, I, I don't know how much time you actually had preparing with this uh, tour beer and DP. Uh, we had a... I mean, we came in really prepared, I think, for the match. It just didn't go as expected. I think Hanamura was our big uh, mistake. Like, I I had, like, some plans, but basically, like, on Hanamura, it didn't go very well. Uh, <laughs> we just got run over, basically, on, on first point, and then we got snowballed on second point. So it was, like, pretty impossible from that point on because uh, we thought that basically you can't cap on. Like, Hanamura second is not that good for dive. 
because uh, your backline can hide and spawn. You get surrounded from all the angles. Same with like rush. It shouldn't be that good for rush because you should just get surrounded by all the, the high grounds. Uh, but like didn't end up working in practice because first point went so badly. And then second point, we got really fucking snowballed. So uh, that was like a huge error on our part uh in terms of preparation like we didn't do something aggressively enough but i think our hollywood was good it was like that was our plan going in like all, all our map picks were like pretty much planned junker town we weren't we were expecting like if, if there was going to be a map they were going to pick that one but we can't really practice that because no one was playing uh lucio moira on junker town let me tell you yeah, yeah. or doomfist so, with it as well yeah <laughs> like, and, you, and then the doom adjustment like really railed us uh i mean we we adjusted too we were gonna play kevin having flex the torb but uh i felt like in the match like i i felt like i knew we we're gonna play torb like dallas says they, they show no signs of flexibility like we were just like you know we can play this on uh hanamura because kev's had practice on this map he's played torb on this map uh but then in the match i decided to go with mir on hollywood just because he has much more experience even if he hasn't played the map like i know his just raw experience on the hero is really good so that's what we did for junker town as well that was like the in-match adjustment but um it didn't work out. I think that we should have been able to help hold a point. We like went over that as a team. Like that was a huge mistake that we weren't able to hold Dallas on a point uh, defense. But I mean, I think their comp is good. They played it really well. Uh, and then they had a really good uh, doom adjustment. I think uh, that like we hadn't really thought of or like definitely never saw in, in, yeah. in our scrims. When we had to play against it. So uh, I mean, Dallas is just a fantastic team. They're a match team. They They understand the adjustments in the game, which I think is like, invaluable like we came in with a clear game plan and like everyone understands like why our game plan was the game plan but like dallas just made their comp work and they i mean for sure the the best team in north america so, uh, for so did, did you come away from this match then it sounds like you're pretty you know happy with the match and it was a close match of course you know we ended up losing but do you feel like do you leave this match feeling you know, happy with the performance you put up against the Dallas Fuel, especially given you're playing this composition? Or do you look at this match like, hey, we could have beat Dallas Fuel the second time around in the, the actual playoffs. Uh, we knew our mistakes. We could have learned from those mistakes. Do you feel like you could have actually taken Dallas Fuel down playing this tour composition? I don't think so. I think the meta was really clear at the end that like Lucio Moro, like you, you just farm coal and then okay. you... That you don't farm yeah. your support alts fast enough. You don't get echo copy fast enough. I think with the cold change now, like it's a, a bit easier type of thing. But uh, they clearly had a great way to play this meta, and I don't think we would have won in the future tournament. So I'm I'm happy with the way we played more so because I talked to you guys. Uh, one of the big things for my team is being mentally strong. Uh, it feels weird to say we have a bunch of veterans, but we have like. As a team, we're pretty new to each other. It's a pretty different team dynamic, I would say, even compared to last year. I know we have four returners, but uh, we have a very different team dynamic and just very different people on the team. So that's the thing we needed to work on the most is how to be mentally tough. And I felt like we were mentally tough in this match. Uh, I felt like we never gave up. We, we were always planning to go first. We were always doing our, our own plans, basically. And we were never disturbed by, like, the point of the game and we were always focused on next fight like this basic stuff as a coach uh for mentality stuff i feel like we did do so that even as a team i think the players even said like they were just better today but like they were happy that like they felt like they performed decently in the match like not perfectly we wish every overwatch game you can say oh man i wish we did something different that fight but that's just yeah. overwatch you know like sure uh but that was a really big takeaway from us is like our mentality is good i still 
like we need more and more experiences is my opinion like uh i'm hoping this this tournament cycle the is it summer showdown is the yeah. alliteration we're going with uh the yeah. summer showdown is <laughs> is a good chance for us once we get to hawaii I'm, I'm sure we'll get to hawaii once we get to hawaii i i think that'll be like a really good land and getting more and more experience because you see these teams it's the experience that's really showing off uh in these tournaments i think that's like really clear to me that you know mayhem has like five out of the six same pieces four out of the six same pieces and uh did well in the tournament shanghai obviously the core is five uh just fate swapped out for fearless uh and dallas like this core has existed for a long time so the experience is like just super super important that we need to get under belts and we have to do it in a hyperbolic time chamber type of thing like uh prep more for it without actual match experience is the hard part as a coach so uh those are the things we're looking forward to uh going into these next tournament cycles okay well now i'm gonna answer the question the original question that was very asked <laughs> no no david no no it's not that's not it's a good everyone wants to, no one cares what i have to say everyone wants to hear you talk because you're the guest that's the thing so when people are going to tune to the episode i'm already here to begin with everyone's like oh we have we have deep here that's what they so it's good that you're giving <laughs> long answers legitimately because everyone's heard enough of us three talk many times True. already oh yeah for, for lifetimes yeah exactly so it's important <laughs> the guest spends a long time talking when they have insight the overwatch league level so to answer the original question i think if there was another week in the stage i think gladiators would have been the second best team be would have been being out rain in the end like been that second because the thing is for me rain just had a slight edge because they had on a very echocentric meta they had pelican but they were so focused on that one comp that I didn't feel like they were very well-rounded, while Gladiators was, felt to me, a far more well-rounded team at the end of the stage. And they're in, like, another another week in that stage. It's clear that they are, like, far better than them in cool. my particular okay. case because it's just... Atlanta feels lopsided. They didn't feel like they ever have a wider grasp of the meta, while Gladiators, for me, I feel like had a far more well-rounded team and just need another week to be like, okay, this is a perfect comp for us, and we're going to be playing that. But okay. other question... You talked earlier about the the nerves of, for some of your rookie players in those er, opening matches for yourself, and then a little bit more about gaining the experience. So I think that's really interesting here, and we've seen a lot of it in Overwatch in particular as an eSport and Overwatch League, is the high turnover rates of rosters. And sometimes a lot of teams seeming to prefer rookie players a lot of the times. For And, and my question to you is, do you feel like the rookie the teams burning through rosters is that more of a preference for, for rookie players? And is that a downside when you talk about these nerves? Or is that more of just player burnout? And like, is that necessarily a bad thing? Is that a good thing? Like, where does the rookie player fit into a team that you're looking to build? And do veteran presence actually matter in Overwatch? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a case by case. Obviously, that's like a easy catch all is just saying it's case by case. But uh, I think it's clear like from the first generation of Overwatch, this, this happens in a lot of games, right? Where the first generation of players are actually not that good. They just kind of got in early and aren't actually that talented. Uh, you see a lot of the... <laughs> exactly. Exhibit yeah. A is on our prints. I mean... Exhibit uh, A and B. <laughs> oh, B. <laughs> got us all. Just oh, roasted us all. I, I didn't read, read Johnny into my roast. I was roasting myself. But I wasn't. Yeah, uh, I to be clear, out. I wasn't targeting either of you, but yeah. Well, uh, I targeted myself, so... <laughs> But yeah, I, I think there's clear like new talent that needs to be brought up that fills a, a new role or just is clearly better just because they've grinded harder to a better region 
uh, stuff like that. I think right now in Overwatch League, there's a decent balance between the two. But I, I definitely think if you want to be a successful team right off the bat, uh, just going in for a championship that year, you need veteran uh, leadership, I think. Leadership is important. You can't just have people who are veterans, but kind of like the silent guys. You have to have veteran leadership as far as uh, the actual player player leadership is really important. So I think it is important, but it also depends. Like if you're going with the whole Nixel thing, Nixel is like actually a decent mix. I, I would say Korean contenders, although like not Overwatch League, if you play at a high level in Korean contenders, I think that is very valuable. Look at the runaway roster that turned Titans, right? Those guys were very good. Like uh, even the Shanghai Dragons roster in season two, uh, not bad. You know, that that's kind of like a whole team imported over. Not bad. So uh, I do think that it's a bit weird, weirder for mixed teams. Uh, we have that challenge where you don't have that language. You don't have that uh, cultural bond that other teams have, right? Uh, that you can actually grow mentalities a lot easier. So my job is a lot harder, but it's worthwhile if you want access to the best uh, across the world for a mixed team. So it really is what you are looking for and what your skill set is as a coach, as well as kind of like your organizational goals. Uh, like Valiant's goals were always to just kind of like be cheap, sell off players, but do the best they can type of thing. Uh, and that's like valid as well. And maybe New York just wanted like a clean breath of fresh air for this year compared you, to kind of kind of their season. Did, uh, did anybody see the um, the post? I think it might have been just today, but it might have been a, a couple of days ago as well. From Eddie Meng, the COO of uh, the Guangzhou Charge. He posted a... Yeah. yeah, he posted like a, an article on his blog um, very recently talking a little bit about kind of the... It, it, the main focus of it was the role of a head coach and what he was looking for hiring a head coach because they've just gone through a bit of turnover, which we'll talk about later on. But further down the article, he also talked about um, the difference that had happened this year in terms of experience actually being directly correlated to um, success because in previous seasons, it's not just that people have wanted rookies. It's that... Rookies and new head coaches and stuff like that have actually seen enormous amounts of success. Whereas this year, it really does feel like it's the veteran players, leaders, coaches that are really pushing to that next tier when you think about Dallas and Shanghai and then the other people trickling down underneath them. Um, they're all led by people with a large amount of experience. So that, that does seem to lend credence that we're going through the, the maturation process of the Overwatch League right now, where all of the all of the um, the wheat has been separated from the chaff, and now it's just about finding the the best possible versions of the good players that we already have. Um, and yeah, Eddie wrote a lot about this, so if you're interested in it, he's he's a very good writer, and he has a lot of unique experience as well, being related to uh, the background processes inside the charge, and he's also incredibly. Um, uh, candid with what he writes too so yeah if you're interested you can check that out uh, it's Eddie Meng I think he tweeted about it as well he's the COO of the Guangzhou Charge yeah it's also on the subreddit too if you're if you visit the competitive watch subreddit they right. have a link there so um, I want to talk a bit about the uh, new changes though that happened with this team uh, Deepay where you have newly integrated I'm going to leave Kevster out of this for now but Muse and then the backline of Shu and Moth I think uh, like skewed. Yes, skewed. skewed as well, yes. Um, although Skewed isn't getting played all of the time, so I tend to, again, put him a little bit to, to a, one side because he has a very specific role for the team. 
But when you're integrating these new pieces in and trying to form a new identity for the team, what are some of the major things you're trying to work on and some of the challenges that you've run into as well? It's, it's part of what you've been talking about is the experience, but a lot of the players on your team are actually very experienced. Even, yeah. I think Muse is probably the least experienced. Well, Skewed, I suppose, would be the very least, but Muse is the least experienced of the players that are playing full-time on your roster. Um, and even he has had some decent success at the contenders level. So wh what is it about that next step up that makes the difference? Yeah, I think, uh, so you talked about like kind of the problems of integrating these new players. I think that's that's like a really good place to start. For, like this actually was a problem when we were first uh, scrimming, like basically with, with uh, sorry, supports and the main tank, these are backline, frontline, just more generally speaking, these are always categorized. New Tracer, I think, is considered a point of, like, uh, frontline, everything that goes in the front. Uh, and, like, basically, the connection between the two needs to be really solid. You need to be, like, six in the fight together. And, like, how you go about doing that, are you more like a, a baby-style team? Are you more an aggressive team? Like, what type of style do you want? Like, those can be antithetical, uh, like, from just like how these players originally played. And I think right. that was a big point for us is, is kind of like making sure that we made sure both sides were heard. And then also like as coaches right now, like I, I want to implement my style. Like I don't care about their styles. I don't want to, uh, I don't care about their style. I want to play my style right now. So like we had to first go through this process of like, okay, there were like arguments about like, oh, backline should move in here. Frontline should do this, backline should do this, backline should do this. Like, pretty much all the time because uh, that's like a huge synergy that you need to have uh, and that was like a big struggle at the beginning but I think as we've gone along through the season maybe other teams won't say this but I think we have like really really good uh, frontline and back communicate like synergy at least it, it's like really good and good backline synergy between themselves right like Mashu uh, and Shusku they, they need their own synergy together right uh, between the two and that's just built in with time scenario uh, planning, going through metas together and stuff like that. Um, I think that's a part of the reason why Dallas is so good, by the way. Like, they played together and they know exactly... Basically, it's like... To me, it's like follow fearless a lot of the time, but like uh, like Hanbin, Sparkle, Doha, uh, and Jaxay have all worked together like in a very significant portion of, of Overwatch that they know how each other plays and know exactly what each other want beforehand. So I think it's like really important uh, to get that experience. And I think that was a big learning for us initially. But I think right now I feel really confident that we have like one of the, the better synergies in the league for that. Yeah. Okay. Did you, did you want I, to follow uh, up there, Connor? I was going to follow up there actually, but it was going to tie into our previous segment with like what... Um, the charge had posted uh, and Eddie yeah, about no, their about coaching. So specifically, we look at their the the problems I think some teams have with finding head coaches, particularly because you can find thirty kajillion assistant coaches out there, but it's pretty hard to find what you want for a head coach. And specifically, when you talk about your integration with your new players here, do you feel like that's one of the toughest jobs as a head coach is to bring rookies into a veteran? roster and bring them up to speed because i feel like my when i look from the outside in it seems to be a very tough job i think uh kind of regardless of rookie or veteran just learning how to manage people is like actually really hard and this is the thing that looking back like 
I don't think I, I definitely didn't do a very good job in my first two years. Uh, I think my first year I was like, I was, I, I ruled with an iron fist type of thing. Like I was pretty well known as like a very harsh coach. Season two, I like kind of went the other way and was like, I want more player inclusion. I want them to like take the reins a little bit more. And I went completely the opposite end. It was a really weird thing looking back, but it made sense. I essentially over adjusted uh, my own coaching style going from year one where uh, I just was more dictatorship to year two where I was like way too hands off and like essentially like what people think head coaches do, which is like more hands off type of stuff. Uh, so right now i think in season three i think i did an okay job i was like trying to find this middle and then i think this year obviously i always think i'm doing better than next year but i do think i am striking uh the right balance and i i need to, to work on that more but i think the the like man management of it right that's like inexplicably hard and i don't think is a very easy skill set to have for young coaches because knowing something about the game is like also inexplicably important i don't know what eddie wrote but uh for like what a head coach needs but you also need to know the x's and o's uh like at a strong level like i lead most of our review uh a lot of the time like i need to know the x's and o deeply to know what the problems are in the game and like how to solve them and then think about the man management uh on the side like how do i work with this but i think also when you're talking about building a new team culture all that stuff uh how you present yourself how you lead is indescribably important I'm sure, I'm actually not sure, but for you guys too, I'm sure you've had like good bosses, bad bosses. And when you have like a bad boss, it, it just feels like shit, right? Uh, and like, you yeah, can tell Mr. like these, are, these are the fucking problem. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Okay, Mr. X. Uh, yeah. <laughs> actually though, following yeah. up on that, when you talk about those changes in coaching styles, those are some pretty big macro changes in the way you approach coaching your team. And still the gladiators have been one of the most consistent teams uh, record-wise in the league's history. I think you got like fourth, fifth, and sixth uh, these past three seasons. And now again, you know, got championship aspirations, but you're, you're still like in that mix, you know, five, four, that kind of stuff. But you're making these big, broad sweeps to the way you coach. How, how do you approach your coaching style improving on your coaching? Um, Perhaps not when it comes to the macro changes in the style, but like the micro, like, you know, how do you reflect on season two, three um, to be a championship coach um, and eventually win the Forty Gladiators? What are some of the stuff you are looking to improve on your own coaching in that way? Saying like right now, or are you just saying like year by year? What was I, what was I thinking? Well, I mean, it's, it's up to you how you want to answer the question, but it's like, yeah. are there like small stuff you focus in like, hey, you know, like maybe when we do VOD review, like, um, you know, I should just chime in with this kind of stuff. I should suggest things, you know, um, how do you work around substitutions? Like how even that you're so consistent right now being, you know, getting four, fifths and six. So it's still it's still good results. But at the same time, it must be kind of frustrating because, you know, you want to win, you want to get the titles and you get so close every time. How do you reflect on your own coaching and how to improve as a coach uh, in that regard season after season? Yeah, I, I think that's a really great question. Uh, going from, I guess, season zero to season one, like I didn't really understand coaching truly and honestly. Uh, like I'm 24, 23 years old or something like that. Uh, one year out of college, been coaching for, you know, a year, essentially, like a little less for a game that like I'm proficient at. But uh, like from a management standpoint, I'm a young kid. I'm a hot tempered person. Like, uh, so like go, 
doing that just was like a learning experience in itself. Every day I was like uh, learning a bunch of stuff, but I didn't really apply it up until like midway through the season and stuff like that. Uh, I think this is where good managements are really helpful. Uh, personally, like I haven't felt like uh, that my managers have been able to help me grow as a coach, but I also think that that's not particularly their job because it's hard for them to know what I should be doing as well. Uh, so like, I guess going from season one to season two is like the more relevant talk. Like I, I got to kind of like reflect. Um, a big part of me there was like, man, player talent is really, really important. I never felt like we had better players than the other, than the enemy team. Uh, I felt like for Spitfire, for uh, New York, they were like always going to beat us. With the addition of Fissure and Void, I felt like, wow, okay, our player talent is higher. But uh, I felt like it wasn't quite there. And I also loved how London was a player-led team. So I kind of over-adjusted into that and leaned into that style without truly understanding it. I think like Moon is a more hands-off coach, but I think he, he did it, obviously is doing it way better than what I did in season two. Because season two, we picked up like uh, great talent, in my opinion. Uh, we still have good talent on the team. But I, I again think like, if you look for at our roster, like in retrospect, that roster was not better than the Titans roster or the Shock roster. I think Shock clearly, like, by a large margin, the most talented roster in Season 2 uh, is my strong opinion. But, like, I kind of over-adjusted into, like, the player, uh, keeping players happy, kind of the more hands-off coaching, let players figure it out, the details, give them this general skeleton, and then have them figure it out and trust in the player quality in the match. And I don't think that's wrong, but I, I like, over-adjusted to that if you know what i mean so uh that was like the flaw going into season two that like and it's hard to adjust in season because like i came in with this idea in the season and it was hard for me to like change although in some moments i did change to be like more hands -on. it it wasn't it's not as holistic as you'd like right like you miss all those micro things that johnny was talking about for like oh this is how i should be doing review this is how i should be doing this like it's harder for me to think about that during the season even with the breaks like how i need to adjust my style more holistically um Going from season two to season three, uh, there's weird management shifts and stuff like that. I, I wanted to go back towards the middle, right? Like, I believe in player quality, but I also believe in a good team environment, all this good stuff, because we had kind of had bad team environment uh, the past couple of years. So I, I kind of like leaned back into this and, and looked at it as a rebuild, uh, although like an expensive rebuild, right? Um, so we, we went into that offseason, or... It was mainly me looking into that offseason, and I don't think I was a very good scout for individual talent. a problem. Uh, and I didn't have, uh, like, assistant coaches who were also skilled at scouting. So that was a big problem on season three's part, where I feel like we didn't actually, uh, like, we didn't upgrade where we needed to upgrade. We didn't make the roster changes that we needed to be a highly successful team. I think we landed somewhere in the middle, and I think looking back on that year, my opinion is, like, it probably like not too far away from like our roster quality uh because i guess like another big concept that i have is like how good is your roster quality and then like then you look at coach diff right like between the roster quality what what is the difference a coach is making in season one it was so clear spitfire was going to win to me like no problem season two like that's coach and player diff i think uh sorry season two was that and then season three i think was that as well as well as a really good meta for uh San Francisco shock. So going into this season, I think uh, face face is someone who doesn't get a lot of like uh, public praise, I guess. And he's like a fantastic scout, in my opinion. And right, he helped right. build this roster. Yeah, he helped build this roster. And 
obviously like we do it as a, a coaching staff, but we help build this roster, help build even the coaching staff out too with Adala. Um, and I think we, we made like the correct decisions going into this off season that I feel like kind of I'm oscillating between styles and like philosophy and stuff like that. I'm probably oscillating from like here to here to like, I'm trying to get closer and closer to, to where the correct middle should be. And I know that sucks for like fans who want immediate success, but I guess, you know, that's my fault for not being as talented as a coach as I should be. But, you know, I, I think I'm learning. I think I'm improving uh, a lot. And I mean, uh, yeah, I think that's like the the thing for me is that I'm getting better and better every year uh, is my opinion. But I need to like show it definitely with results. Like at the end of the day, uh, we're in we're in competition. You need the results to back it up. I can I can say all this stuff. I can sound really articulate or whatever, but it doesn't fucking matter unless you have a trophy. Right. So that's something that we just need to achieve. And I, I need to get even better more where we're at now uh, to, to achieve that. You spoke about uh, face being important in the scanning process as well. Is that one of mm-hmm. the reasons that you went to such an obscure place to find skewed too? <clears throat> he has, he has a very particular role on the team, right? But it has, it really did amaze me in this off season, how many players from that single team that finished ninth to 12th in Korean contenders that, I would never have looked twice at as a team that potentially would have fielded owl talent. You know, when you're, when you're an analyst, you look at the top teams because you expect that's where most of the owl teams are going to be picking their talent from. And instead, I think it's like four players from OZ Gaming end up getting picked up. There's like Checkmate goes over to Mayhem, Friday goes to NYXL, you guys picked up Skewed. I think someone else just got picked up recently too. But I can't exactly remember. Yeah, exactly. So what's... Um, What's going on there? Why? What was the reasoning behind the skewed pickup, and what was what was the thing that like uh, that sold you on him, or sold face? Yeah, on? yeah. I I think it was. Uh, I mean, face is just a fantastic scout. But you you talk about Oz Gaming, right? Why why do they have so many owl level talent? That just speaks to me to Korean contenders uh, how how deep the talent really gets. Because I I think Zest is very good. He he was on that team. I think he's young now but he's probably a, a talent to keep track of he's on t1 right now uh like the team just had a lot of good players uh to be honest i don't think friday is very good for what it's worth uh, but, okay. uh yeah i i think that you know that team had a lot of good players it's just korean contenders has a lot of good players at the end of the day it's like team style and and coach diff uh for korean contenders i think right. along with player talent if like uh o2 has proper and they had pelican last year that they had like insane talent, yeah that's just ridiculous in my opinion yeah just absolutely ridiculous so uh sorry your next question was what did we see in skewed right yes yeah uh there there's this like big idea that we had uh i don't really want to talk about it but uh just for like you know because i i don't think other teams have caught on but they probably will uh but i think skewed is just like an exceptional player, like an underrated talent that we felt like, you know, we wanted a second flex support, not that he'd be like the main option. Right. We wanted this like tier one flex support, like Violet, like Izayaki, like these guys who are just, you you can see it, that their aim is just fucking insane. Like these guys can carry fights on Zen, on Ana, on Bap. Like we, we just knew like, this is this is what a flex support needs to do. Healing is is important, but like aim is more important than any of these things like we wanted that tier one we didn't feel like skewed was that but we felt like he was uh someone who could kind of 
fill in when we need to play double flex support and wouldn't right. have like too much of a like ego or demand i guess because you don't want unhappy bench players cool. i think is a cool. is a big thing so like for example we could have taken luffy who was you know a good player on shanghai dragons a substitute player i think uh on the whole but like a good player his player quality is high i think but uh skewed fit in better for what we wanted and we could mold him into the role that we wanted to so uh, I think that was like an easy pickup, and we were even scouting him beforehand. We were running like internal scrims, and we saw that he was doing well. And even though his English proficiency wasn't there, like a hungry player, so that's exactly what we wanted from that particular role from like a personality standpoint. And then from a hero proficiency standpoint, we just saw a great talent there. So, yeah, uh, not going too in depth on on our reasoning. That that was like a big reason for why Skewed was such a great pickup, uh, in my opinion. I. I have one question left before we tackle the mid-season awards portion of this as well. My my big next question is, uh, what was involved in getting Kevster to LA? He is finally in Los Angeles. I saw the video. It was sick. It was a great video reveal as well. I really enjoyed that. What's what's it like to to finally have him actually involved? And can we expect, and this is a vast major, major question from our previous episode, can we expect the European fans to actually get what they're expecting from this guy now that he's on low ping? Are we going to see him just pew, skyrocket to the top of the standings, he's dominating everyone, or is it going to be kind of more of the same of him finding his footing as a younger player in the league? All of what's what's your thought process? In. Every member of Europe, every person watching Overwatch League from Europe is listening to this answer right now, David. Kevin <laughs> is the pride of EU. I, I know how much the EU guys love him. If you have him on your team, they say you can't win on the other team. That's what they say for rank. Yeah. Uh, I think Kev, I don't think the ping will make that much of a difference for what you visually see on the screen for his mechanics. I don't think it'll make that much of a diff. But what will make the diff is that he will be a team player that our team environment will be better. I tell him the same thing. I think he is the most talented DPS player in the league mechanically. I think he is, but he's not a good team player. He's he's not someone with experience. He's not someone who knows how to read the game. He he needs to like learn these things. He can do this more in person. I can we can like help him more out as coaches. The team he can get more comfortable with. I, I think that's indescribably important. You know, uh, being really comfortable with your teammates is really really important i think that's something you can't do remote especially for a higher guy like that um because that builds trust and trust is again inexplicably important in a team environment it's it's just so important so uh i think it's going to be huge for him that he's in la but you guys will see like i'm sure the narrative on on like overwatch league broadcast will be like this guy's on 20 ping if gladiators start having success it's going to be like it was a cap it, it was a sure. big dip. Yeah. It was I a big dip. I won't. I promise I won't. Yeah, but <laughs> me right now, like, we're, we're making such huge team strides, and he's a part of that. Uh, but to me, Kev will always be Kev. Like, you guys look at this guy's first person, you know he's very talented, but you see the timing problems. You see these, these other problems that are with the team. That's the stuff that's going to be, like, my opinion, he's more talented than Sparkle and Doha uh, from a mechanical point of view. But... Sparkle and Doha have amazing teamwork. They know how to really work with the team, know how to communicate to the team. And that's something that is hard to teach and that is easier to teach in person. So you're going to see the same Kev from a mechanical standpoint, but our team success is where he'll, you, you guys will start noticing that he's actually a great player, but he needs to work on it himself too. We need to help guide him uh, to how to be a great player. But truly and honestly, like 
he'll he'll always be a mechanical god. Like he's a mechanically gifted player, super super flexible, like a true super flex player. I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm excited because Kev's in LA because of the the trust and the the intangible things, not because of the pin. Sure. Uh, uh, oh, I'm asked- sure the pin helps. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I mean, you guys are on a six and zero spree right now. If you don't count the like qualification games too, so it, it's not really like you can do a lot better, and some trajectory can be allocated towards towards Kevin's low ping. But man, I've asked if they end up making it to Hawaii in the next stage, European fans are going to end up molding you out of control. Oh, they're going to go for me. They're going to go for me. I mean, and the thing is, though, I'll be perfectly happy with it myself because I like to play the villain for Europe for fun most of the time, in particular Fusion, pissing off Fusion fans. But like, if Kempster actually popped off and like we fixed, because also that was a lot of my concern legitimately for Kempster when he was first picked up for the, the League 2. And when we talk a lot about these hard carry players, historically hard carry players are bad teammates historically they're not like really good teammates now that's obviously not the there's plenty some of examples i'm not i can give some <laughs> examples but uh, i'm not gonna list them all off but as david knows hard carry players uh historically throughout the league are not great teammates and not all of it is necessarily because of attitude issues it's because of also they just haven't been taught the skills um to work cool. effectively within a team and um so i think that was my main uh, thing when I saw Kepster come into League Two. Was like, okay, I know this guy's cracked as fuck, but like, is he ever going to be shaped into a very usable portion for the Gladiators here? So it's exciting to know that that's where the directory is, right? It's like fitting, molding him into an actual player, and like mm. getting him to be like really get his destiny going and type of I mean, like actually have him be able to use his ability. So I'd be happy if Kester hits the peak and all of Europe can just come shit on me. Like if that's the case, like <laughs> I don't think I really deserve the shitting. But at the same time, I'm gonna take it. I'll I'll take it because I'm whenever a player achieves greatness, I'm all for it. Ah, just a grateful receptacle for poop. A that's, great that's receptacle. You. Yep. Just a, mm-hmm. a polished basin. Um, I, I want to get on to some news portions. We missed this portion of the news last week when we did our Plat episode. Um, but it happened uh, like right after we posted. Was that Runaway as an organization has disbanded? That is a, a massive. Uh, Massive blow, I feel, to the Tier 2 scene. They were, I, I would say, the number one team that people were scouting from and looking at and, and seeing at the top of Korean contenders. You could also put Element Mystic up there for sure, but in terms of the length that they've been there and the quality of players they've put through and the stories that they've had over the years, this is a team that's been through it all. I mean, Jonathan, you... You look distraught at the moment, I think, just with what's going on in your life. But talk to me about Runaway as well. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is very sad. This is like, a, I mean, I was going to say top three Overwatch esports org of all time. And then I was like, well, we got Overwatch League. But, you know, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. like, they're in that conversation about how much impact they have on Overwatch history. Because I was thinking about this the other day, like Apex, you know, it's a meme, you know, whatever have you. 2016, 2017. 2017, we didn't have anything going for us but Apex, pretty much. North America and Europe was pretty much dead. Like, we didn't have any offline tournaments. It was in ruins. And Runaway pretty much carried, or not, they didn't carry, but they were a large part of what made Overwatch Esports interesting in 2017. Um, 
which was only like one, two years into the, the life span of the game at that point. So, you know, they build this big legacy and then they actually continue pounding in contenders while the Overwatch League is going on. Obviously, you have the Vancouver Titans roster, um, you know, while they were still in contenders who then got promoted, but then also continuing uh, to build these fantastic rosters in uh, Season 2 and Season 3 of the Overwatch League when they had already been promoted. I mean, this this organization, I mean, they, they have more history in my mind than like the likes of Lunatic High, um, Envious at this point. So... You could probably name like the Shock and you know some Overwatch League teams, but Runaway is one of the most historically impactful organizations in Overwatch yeah. uh, Esports history. So also, obviously very sad, yeah. Also, Runner himself, or uh, and and a bunch of people, Flavin too, that were involved with the organization. They they've got some scouting talent on that org just by virtue of having these enormous trials and picking them down, whoever was involved at the ground floor level with scouting was beastly good at being able to do with it because they were plucking talent that nobody had necessarily heard of. They weren't always going for the big names in Korea. But once you had been through the runaway system, you turned into a big name in Korea, and then other people were trying to pluck people from there. So I think massive credit deserved there. When people talk about the best scouts in Overwatch history... Um, I, I tend to give the credit to Runner, but he wasn't always running the organization. So whoever it actually was on the ground floor doing the direct scouting for the team during those years was doing a phenomenal job. I think they had uh, like great connections in the scene, and they were like they had that reputation as the team you wanted to be on because, for sure. like like you guys said, they built your story, right? The the Runaway fans were just diehard for you, uh, and so like people wanted to join this team. So top level talent would join this team as part of that, right? Like that's that's a great part when you have a, a, a brand like that. You don't even need great scouting, you just need great connections. And honestly, the there are like not that many hidden secrets in Korean contenders. They all talk to each other. I know they all know who the, the hidden talents are sure, uh, sure. across the teams, like Develop and uh, Zest and Checkmate. Those guys were not on hidden talents as, in, as far as the Korean contender scene. And proper and pelican those guys are not hidden they they found like great people i think too but their brand is really really a sad one to lose in overwatch for sure yeah the story of uh, the vancouver titans will also probably be the saddest story that i know in overwatch too because that i mean that is the they had the potential there to carry on the runaway legacy into overwatch league yeah and but we got they... adamus out of it yeah. But we got a dominant training facility out of it, so I think it's an equal trade. And we now have a pizza company, so that's pretty good yeah, as well, Yeah, and right? we have a pizza franchise in Overwatch League, so that's Holy good too. Shit. We got a yeah. lot of great things coming out yep. of there. <laughs> got a bunch of great stuff. And all it took, what was the price? One runaway. Yeah. Yep. You know, everything. Thanos face. Exactly. Oh my god, exactly. this is so sad. Why do you have to present it this way? Now I'm actually just furious. Like... <laughs> It is. It is a very oh sad goodness. story, though. It, it really is. And yeah. also, it's like it's a bit of a, um, a, a long-standing problem with the Overwatch Tier Two scene as well. Is that it just doesn't have enough going for it to be able to support a team like that? Even Runaway, who were making money by being able to sell players to Overwatch League franchises. Um, one of the things involved with this as well is that God, I can't remember exactly who it was. I don't want to name <clears> the wrong player. Um, one of the players from the former Runaway um, organization was uh, 
apparently trying to get out of his contract. Oh, without having I to mean, buy it, him. it's it's assassin. Oh, who, was it right? Okay, talking about yes. Yeah. yeah. So there was like some some report or allegation that allegation makes it sound insanely serious, but he was um yeah uh, apparently there was something weird with the contract situation in the off season where he was trying to leave his contract in order to join an Overwatch League team instead of having the buyout and maybe that soured runaway to uh, to the entire endeavor as well because there isn't much going for you as an Overwatch tier two yeah team I mean especially at that time as well in COVID. You know, like sure. how much income do you actually have? Um, so sorry to interrupt, Josh, but you know, I, I think looking back, you can make the COVID excuse because I think a lot of teams suffered during COVID, especially if you're contenders. You know, um, trying to get you know that working uh, for those teams. But also, there was a, a tweet thread. They made that video. They made like a live stream runner and flower bin where they. Yeah. Uh, talk to chat etc and they had you know they they discussed in the uh, twitter thread as well and i don't think you can ignore that um that they had tried to be active uh, as well trying to discuss formats you know improving the tier two scene and um suggesting things and they said at one point that sometimes it almost felt a little bit like it fell on deaf ears um so it, it sounds like it's a complicated situation for sure in how to uh, facilitate that uh, tier two environment and make it successful and sustainable uh, for these organizations because we need this kind of conversation. Like we, we we do need it. I'm not going to you know truly cater to some of the people who say that you know we should embrace tier two and just throw money at it when they themselves almost lie and sometimes don't watch the broadcast themselves. You know, like you need the viewership to provide the money. You know, there needs to be a financial reasonable transaction there. You can't just throw money at it. Um, if you don't get the views, etc. But there definitely needs uh, could make it, maybe make some adjustments to the format, um, some of the regulations, sponsorship, etc. Uh, it sounds like Runaway uh, was trying to take part in that conversation, um, and you know I'm, I can't make assumptions or suggestions about how those talks actually went. But it seems to be an ongoing conversation in how to uh, help organizations like Runaway make this sustainable because uh, by the sounds of it, they had uh, you know, issues raising appropriate amounts of money uh, to make it financially stable. And so Runner was streaming a ton to actually put money into the organization itself, yeah, yeah. which is, you know, not How insane the way. is that? Yeah, that, I, mean, I mean, that's crazy. Legendary. It also speaks to his dedication, you know, does, of course. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's his, you know, Runaway is almost like his loving child, you know, and like he's willing to put all, the, all these hours and money into this organization to make it work. But um yeah it's difficult i can't imagine how difficult uh it is so i'm hoping that you know with overwatch 2 i was gonna say around the corner but it might be two or three corners uh, with overwatch 2 coming out <laughs> at some point maze. in the, in the, in the future that's just a, that's just a building let's just put that many corners yeah. on there we're just looking at describing a building, a building. <laughs> with overwatch 2 coming out at some point in the decade of 2020 uh Okay. Yeah, maybe we can make some adjustments <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, it would be the dream to see Runaway come back, but uh, maybe make some tier two changes or try to make it more sustainable for teams like Runaway to uh, see them succeed. Yeah. I would like to tack on a question to that real quick before we move on then. So, David, oh, you used to have Gladiators Academy and um, looking now at Runaway's disband and like the supposed reasons for that, because I'll put forth my opinion first and we'll see what if you agree or disagree. Personally, after seeing how Tier 2 operates at an org level, being within an org, and seeing how it operates in other esports, I'm of the opinion 
that tier two in esports is inherently going to be subsidized and will never be successful. That's my opinion, 100%. I don't think, it, like LCS and League, largest esport on earth, the Academy, there's like fucking no one watching that shit. It's a money sink. The only difference is it's a far more supported system, which we should have had in the beginning with Academy teams and Overwatch League, where the flexibility with rules and contracts and players actually generated value for teams, which we didn't have that initially with Academy teams for Overwatch League. It made the player rules and the contracts and how you could move players back and forth were nonsensical. Um, yeah. And it, it removed a lot of the value. So looking at, since you used to have an Academy team and looking at the current state of Tier 2, do you feel like a, that there is any solution for Tier 2 or is it always going to be a system that was inherently kind of flawed? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with your original sentiment, which is just like, I think it's probably, it's putting like too many feet far forward from where you are. Esports is trying to be like traditional sports without having the amount of money that traditional sports has. Like, uh, even some teams don't have, like for basketball, they don't have G League team, right? That's like the feeder team into it. Baseball too, like you need on return investment. And it's because like your top end makes like 300 million that you can like toss these guys like 50K on the side for the, the like, uh, aspiring MLB players, probably less, uh, to be honest. It's probably, like, they make, like, very, very fucking few. I mean, I, we had, like, Trevor yeah. Mays. Trevor, he, yeah. He, he talked about it, because he used to, like, the 2018 player summit, how he made, like, a, a less than minimum nothing. wage. As, yeah, he was like, eating uh, PB&J yeah. all the time, like, three meals a day. Like, uh, Yeah, I think it's just unsustainable. Even at the top level, like, you, you treat your players pretty badly to do it. Uh, and I think that's fine. That's essentially, like, Boston Academy essentially does that, where I think they actually have the correct, like, sustainable market markets, like, salary and stuff like that. Maybe they tie you in contract hell, but that's part of the process. Like, if every team did that, I think that is actually the way you need to, like, make it actually the line that you wanted to. Because if you did what uh, Academy teams were doing, which was paying, like, players, like, an insane amount and like supporting them to go on these international trips when contenders makes zero money it's just a sink of money you're throwing down the drain from an organizational standpoint and you're not making you're not making that up in owls like huge profits or anything like that that needs to sustain itself first before you start reinvesting into a secondary feed system so i i think like overwatch league and just many esports are taking like too many steps ahead uh before the the environment actually grows to that amount organically where it's actually financially stable. Otherwise, like you said, it has to be heavily subsidized by riot or something or by riot for league of legends or by blizzard or whichever publishing company. But I think that there's no advantage for them either for it to be a sustainable system. Just pick people off ladder and they don't care about the quality of play. Like rarely do player do uh, like characters notice the difference in quality of play. I feel like, uh, they just like the excitement, the storylines. Like that's the stuff that Overwatch League needs to be working out, and not like the quality of play or anything like that. The feeding mm -hmm. system and stuff like that for the pro players. That's at least like my opinion on the topic. Well, now that we've solved tier two, let's uh, move on to the <laughs> summer showdown patch. Let's do some rapid fire here, George, because we got yeah. a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> well, the summer showdown maps in the patch. We've got some new stuff heading into this one. Um, do we have what? What the hell is going on here? I gotta be honest. I'm not up to date with this. What is going? What are the new maps that are coming in? What's the new patch that's coming in? I'm lost in the source. Uh, so the patch they're going to play with in the summer showdown, uh, it is going to be 1.60.1, which ah, includes yeah, recent one. changes to Batiste, Echo, 
uh, McCree, Moira, Reaper, and Saria. So, you know, it's going to be the it's one we covered live where... Match. Yeah, yeah, it's current Ultimate... live match. Right, okay. Okay. Fair enough, okay, that, that makes it That could have been an simpler. easier way to say it. Oh, I understand. But yes. I wanted to bring out the numbers, the patch That's numbers. Fair. People can see it when they log 0. in. Zero point. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so essentially, you know, lowered ultimate cost, uh, or increased, rather. Increased ultimate cost for their gold. Thanks for that, for Echo. Um, and then for Moira Coalescence as well. So there are some interesting changes here. Uh, we've covered this before in the podcast. Yes, so yeah, yeah. Uh, go watch the prior episodes. And then they have, we have the map pool as well. Um, King's Row is back in the pool. Yeah, sorry. Of course, King's Row is back in the pool. Oh, yeah, <laughs> nice. love to see it. With Hollywood, the rare dynamic hybrid duo of King's Row, Hollywood, I can all that. I, I love, love these, these hybrid maps. I actually oh, love yeah. them. I love all hybrid maps in the game. It's the best map type. It just straight up is. I do love Nambani, so I'm sad to see it out. Uh, but it's the same Nambani assault map, same control. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the actual, what's the actual difference in the map pool here? What am I missing? Nambani's what are they out. Uh, Nambani? Yeah, so uh, assault is always the same because Harris and Horizon... Yeah, Horizon are gone. They've been and control is always control the same. Is the same. So it's, it's only hybrid Hollywood, and Hollywood, they, Yeah, they kept Hollywood, and I think they changed the two hybrids, and then they changed all three of the... Uh, escorts. No, no Junkertown was, was still there. Junkertown was, was in there. Right. So before yeah, they had Rialto and uh, Dorado. Dorado in here, yeah. so. True. Okay, okay, okay. I've seen it will it feel see it, it will feel quite different, and it'll still feel different as well from the main melee because this wasn't the exact same map pool as we had in the main yeah. melee either. Um, even yeah. though we might be trending back to a similar meta. All right, we've already gone through that kind of stuff. So there's a little quick count. Boom. We've we've gone Boom. through it. Um, some coaching changes though are coming up, and I wanna I, I wanna. Uh, well, we're not going to lump these together, but I want to kind of d talk about each one and then maybe have a, a discussion afterwards. The first one being that Shock have parted ways with Agape. Now, this wasn't the Shock's decision to let Agape go, as far as I'm aware. I think Agape made the decision to leave the team himself. Um, I think citing family issues. Again, I should really have the source in front of me while I'm just saying this on a podcast. But I think that's what they said in the in the parting message. Am I... Am I right here? Am I wrong? Can someone fact check me? Uh, he, he tweeted out saying, uh, thank you for the staff who sympathized with uh, and understood my family problems. Right, uh, there we so, go. So, yeah, there could be something like that um, in that, of course. But yeah, interesting to see how this affects the talk with one of their assistant coaches gone. Uh, a staff that is already, you know, being mixed around and tossed around and making changes. Uh, yeah. This the other... The other um, part to this as well before I get your guys opinions on it is uh, Sungwoo getting a new uh, sorry Sungwoo is the new head coach for the Guangzhou Charge um, he's a coach that has previously been involved with the Charge if, since like he was on the roster as an assistant coach from 2018 until sometime in 2019 2020 something like that um, and then ended up leaving the team and now he's come back as the new head coach which is part of why um, Eddie Meng was writing that um blog post essentially the article about the roster shakeups and like his hiring processes and that kind of stuff first of all i want to ask Deepay, what do you know about sungwoo it is so difficult to be able to get proper insight on coaches in the league especially if they don't primarily speak english or they're involved with teams who don't primarily speak english so i know nothing about this guy all i know is that packing 10 was tweeting about him somewhat favorably otherwise i'm completely lost i don't know what this even means for the charger in any way well, now we know david can't like him now we know 
Uh, I mean, Sungwoo, I, I've interviewed, I think, in season two. I, I interviewed him. Uh, first thing I can tell you is English isn't too good from okay. uh, that interview. But uh, more seriously, Ty Dollar and Shu both worked with him. Shu has, like, raving things to say about Sungwoo. He says he gave him a lot of, like, detail. Uh, I think for that team, the assistant coaches worked a lot with individual review. So uh, Ty Dollar and Sungwoo did a lot of individual review. And uh, Sungwoo worked with Shu. So, uh, and Shu says he's, like, a great coach uh, for, at least for, like, him individually. Like, he's, he wasn't talking from, like, a macro level. He was just saying, like, I felt like he just said he had, like, a lot of confidence in Sungwoo. And I know Ty, Ty Dollar is, like, really close with him, too. So uh, as far as I can tell, you know, a good coach. I don't know him personally. And that interview was so long ago uh, that I honestly don't remember too much about it. But, uh, I mean, I think it, it was definitely weird. Guangzhou's, like, head coaching decision is a bit weird because they had, like, axed Sungwoo, Ty Dollar, and Jin. Uh, essentially axed all of them and then went with a new coaching staff and then bring back uh, Sungwoo. Uh, so they must have, like, had some nostalgia about it. And he was probably better than what they thought they were going to get in free agency as far as coaches go. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm interested because I think Guangzhou has talent, uh, but it's been really, like, they, they just look awful in the game. Like, I don't even watch their games anymore because it's just not worth watching. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Hopefully he can bring okay. them together because I think they have, you know, some good pieces there at least. Interesting. The other part of this question that I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, is that we've been talking a little bit on the show about the possibility of some brain drain within the San Francisco shock. Now, you still have Krusty uh, there. Coasty, I was about to call him. That would be a Coasty. completely different Yeah, name. coasting along there. <laughs> Coasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You still have if he's just slacking off. You still yeah. have Krusty, but they've really shuffled up a lot of the structure underneath him as well with uh, Junkbug and 9K in particular. Um, part of that kind of what we thought of as the big three coaches behind the San Francisco Shock success. Moving on to different pastures, and now they are starting to integrate other people, and now Arachne's had to leave as well. Do you think there's any stock in that, just from an outside speculative degree? You still obviously have Krusty, who's so well-respected across the scene, but when things like that shuffle, what would your opinion be of the, the kind of current state of the Shock? They're not doing badly by any means, but they're not the world beaters that they once were. Yeah, I think Shock are in an interesting situation because their expectation is to win. There's no other expectation for me. Uh, it's only three-peat or nothing. Like, uh, and that's the expectation they built because of their, their, their historic success, right? Uh, so I think they're in a bit of a predicament there where they have to win, and I think that pressure is very overwhelming. So uh, as far as like the brain drain goes, uh, obviously you lose really quality coaches i won't even say assistant coaches just quality coaches in junk buck 9k uh and then i think last season had arachne right so uh you're losing quality coaches and just not having a coach i guess if agape was bad then that's like a positive thing if he was like neutral or or positive then it's a negative thing just to have less coaches uh the head coach has to do more but i do think that the head coach has like a ton more influence uh depending on how your system is right obviously but i, I think in uh, my mind shock should still be fine. Like your expectation shouldn't lower too much from where it has been just because I don't think anyone will lower their expectation kind of regardless mm. as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. it's obviously a negative to not have a coach uh, unless that guy was like just being a bad coach, right? Uh, but sure, sure. yeah, so that's not a good thing, but maybe they have a budget for a mid-season acquisition for a coach or 
uh, Kisoris and Krusty can kind of two-man it. I, I don't even think it's bad to two-man uh, coach, to be honest. Like, you have clearer direction. You have less argument. You just kind of go with your gut as the head coach. There's less of a triumphant or anything. Sure. Um, I want to move on to our next topic, which is that Chengdu are making a, a few changes. Well, not a few changes here. They've swapped two players around. They've swapped Kaneki and Taro Cookie. So Taro Cookie is in, Kaneki out. We had a discussion in the previous episode, I can't, don't know whether you guys remember, about players that hadn't played any maps and had been subbed out. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, is Kaneki a candidate? But he did actually play this season, right? He did, yeah. Yeah. He, and did. So, yeah, he, looked, he looked okay when he played as well. He didn't look awful. Also, but... people in the comments did answer our question. Lulsish was picked up and didn't play a map. So there you go. Um, oh yeah, that's true. That was yeah. For, I totally forgot about Lulsis. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, so so Lulsis was the. I thought of that, but didn't consider it because he wasn't even eligible to play. Like he was <laughs> exactly. in the wrong country. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, through no fault particularly of Lulsis's own, he is the only player in the league that we can think of that was signed to a contract but didn't actually play whatsoever, um, other than original Joe Meister um, yeah, in 2018. No, well, I no, played preseason, so technically I still play played something. Joe Meister and oh, is the only people to literally never even touch the stage. <laughs> All right. They were only allowed All to right. look at you it. Have you hollowed ground once. One, one touch, one pity touch. Um, what do you guys think of this move? Jonathan, what do you think of the Kaneki Tarakuki swap? I have no input whatsoever into this. None whatsoever. I mean, Kaneki, he saw like two maps. He played like Torb. Uh for a little bit uh, in that region because we get the notes you know we get the notes when we wake up each morning what happened in the APAC games and you know we walk over you know what, what happened who stood out um, and every time uh, Kinect was featured it was like yeah he played like Torb on Moskai or something uh, something like that so uh, yeah I don't have a ton of insight uh, Tarakuki from my understanding he plays like some of the longer range hit scan uh, I haven't followed Chinese contenders so I'm just speaking out of my ass here uh, but you know, at the same time, I don't have a, I don't have a hard time seeing Taro Cookie uh, breaking into a pretty solid Chengdu Hunters DPS lineup. Do you have any insight on this, Saicho? Do you know? Uh, no, I haven't watched his vods yet, and I don't know the guy from this previous off season when I was doing review of players. I also find it difficult to believe that he would be able to tap into the hit scan lineup that the Chengdu Hunters already possesses because I was actually pretty impressed with the players that they were already fielding. Like I thought that Jimmy has been. Pretty damn good in that role, honestly. It's been okay. Like, uh, yeah, you know. I mean, the times in which he is... The thing is, as well, we haven't actually had that much long-range hitscan being played in the region overall. Like, there were some opportunities to play Ash, for sure, but uh, APAC was lost in the fucking sauce uh, over <laughs> the June Joust, and Chengdu was no exception to that. So I don't think they really had their best opportunities to showcase the best from that roster. But in the times where Jimmy was able to play the Widowmaker and the Ash, and then even when he played Sombra too, I thought he was, I thought he was pretty damn impressive. So for, for a person that I don't know anything about, like, if they were just anybody, I wouldn't expect them to be better than Jimmy. But that is coming from a complete place of ignorance because I don't know how good Tarakuki is. I'm just going to have to look at him. But it's not a direct one-for-one -one swap in terms of player role. No, no, it's definitely not. So, I mean, he's been on some decent teams in the past too as well. He's been a staple of Chinese contenders, but he's never been like a, a player on a winning team. He's not been in any sort of those franchise teams that have been like at the top of Chinese contenders really. His best result was most recently with Team Chaser. So... To me, it seems odd. I mean, it just seems like an odd swap unless they have bigger, bolder plans for this role in the future for them and what long-range hitscan means to them because 
Kaneki didn't even play too much and obviously hasn't been played too much so far. And will that even change in the future realistically? Like potentially, yes, but yeah. who knows? I'm, uh, I guess the important question is, if you're a Chengdu Hunters fan and you're coming out of the, this first half of the season and you're thinking, is this the swap we need to be able to push us to the big time? We're saying pr probably not. Right. Well, that wouldn't have made any difference with the first two stages. So more than likely. So well, maybe a little bit. I don't. But also, like than Jimmy. But also, we but... don't know. Is all is another part of this. The the three of us, and I'm assuming you as well, Deepay. You don't have any particular insight into this guy. Fuck his tarot cookie, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to be honest. I, I mean, I love uh, like contenders and Chinese contenders. I try to look sometimes, but uh, I don't even see. Like, I've never even heard of this guy. Uh, I, I agree with you that Jimmy is like if he's brought on for the hit scan role, Jimmy is a good hit scan. Like you and Tidala, like uh, I think they had him on their Guangzhou Academy team, whatever that was called. Oh, and right. apparently, Jim, Jimmy is just fucking insane, is what they tell me. They they say like his aim is like happy level, uh, no brain, but you know his aim is insane. <laughs> so, I, and I think that's I think that's valuable to have just uh, some sure. brain dead aimer, you know. Uh, yeah. So if he's brought in for that role, Jimmy is. Uh, probably better. Leave is like their flex, flexible, like hit scan ish player uh, that plays Tracer and all the other uh, like flanker players. And then Jinmu is obviously like the hard projectile player that they play around yeah. a lot of the time. So I, I see no impact in this, but I also think Chinese, like Chengdu, is kind of bad at roster construction. But maybe they have like a very specific purpose for this kid. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure. Okay. Well, time to get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. I want to go through some midseason awards. I now get... we're getting into the meat and potatoes. The oh meat and potatoes. God. There were three rushed post news. Three different portions. This was a, that I asked. This is a three-course meal I've asked. First of all, the DPA interview. Second of all, a little bit of news recap. Third of all, the main course served at the end to add some spicy okay. twists. It's the mid-season awards. you were the favorite of mine so far. So the appetizer was better than the main course. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Don't throw me any hardballs or anything for my interview. I want someone to just shit on me in an interview. Well, we, no, we, okay. Listen to the comments section. Nah, it, it, yeah, in the comments section, <laughs> you can post some hardball questions that we should have asked Ipe during our, our brief interview. Um, I, I want to take a moment, though. We're at the mid-portion of the season. And so we've come up with a bunch of awards. Some of the awards that the league itself is going to hand out. Some are awards that we have invented. And the, the way they're phrased is that they're awards of the mid-year. But also, if you guys think that someone is a frontrunner to win at the end of the year, even though you wouldn't award it right now, I'm open to that, right? If you're like, okay, Pelican by the end of the year is going to win MVP or Rookie of the Year, okay, I'll accept that, even though it's not fair to give it him right now. I'll be fine with that. Let's start with our first one. The first one is most improved. So that most improved. What, sorry? That team or player? player that's, right? that's player, okay? Yeah, most player. improved player. Why would you give it the most improved team? That's... I don't know. Oh, why wouldn't you? Just why go wouldn't mathematical you? on your ass. Just get, say it's the <laughs> justice not? right why, off the bat. Okay. Fair enough. Why couldn't you give a most improved team by the mid-season? But, but like, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, okay. All right. That would have made some sense. But no, I mean most improved player. So I want, I want some reason behind this as well. Some player that stood out to you. Who's, who's giving me their first pick? I want to start with Jonathan, I think. Okay, well, first pick uh, of the most improved player draft, uh, where you can take the same answer. I I'm going to go with Crimso for this one. 
is the player struggled or it didn't really struggle now why am i saying that the, pr the problem with doing this okay is because the circumstances of some of these players have changed so drastically and overwatch is a team game if you have a good team around you it is so much easier to succeed and yeah. i think Crimso is uh, a prime candidate here because you know dating back a couple of years i think Crimso has been a really good flex support but he's always sort of always been in the shitter when it comes to, you know, what teams he's on and the problems they're facing. And so I understand some of the frustration he felt when the K left the Dallas Fuel last year, went to Washington Justice. And this guy's fuming because he's a legit good flex support player. Um, obviously, didn't have success on Canada World Cup roster either. Um, so that put a dent in his reputation a little, bit, a little bit because that's how people do it. You know, they look at his Wikipedia page. And they go like, well, it was pretty poor with Canada. It's like, no, it was actually not Crimson's fault. I think he's always had it in him a little bit to be a, you know, league average kind of flex support player. And now he's shining with this good Houston Outlaws roster. So I'm going with Crimson for most improved in terms of results. But I think this was coming a little bit. I think okay. he had it in him already to be this good. I like that. I like that. I think that's that's pretty wholesome. The problem with most improves is that people assume that you you're deliberately saying they were shit before this, which is. <laughs> so I like that you made that caveat though, Jonathan, because you're making it very clear that that's not what you're saying. Avast, enough, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna require your answer. Who would yours be of the midseason or looking forward to the end of the season? I actually have one that pertains to our guest uh, ah. currently, to David. And okay. someone that historically I've rated very highly, but I didn't think has looked too good to start out with, but has looked a lot better now once we got to midseason. Space. Mm, I'm okay. going with space because I think space historically the best Western off tank and has had very good performances. This start of this year, I was not, I was, I was, I don't know what was going on with him. I don't know what was going on with my man Indy, but if we made it to about midway, I think he's returned to normal space form and I'm, very much more on the space train again because legitimately i was looking at some of the early performances and being like what this doesn't look like space like what's going what's going on here and then now i'm like that's space that's the guy cornrow power that's the dude like that's him so i'm actually much more on the space train so kind of kind of interesting pick because he's such a veteran presence already and it's historically been proven already but okay. personally i just didn't think he was having a great start of the season and i think he's looked much more up to form now Hmm. All right. All right. Silence from the gladiators camp. Um, I, I would like your answer then, Deepay. Who are you going to go for? Oh, man. These questions were hard, and I didn't think about them beforehand. So this is a hard question. Uh, I'm not really sure. Because like you said, like the individual improvement is hard to track across different teams, right? Um, it's got to be like someone on Spark or something. Uh, I actually have no idea. I think <laughs> no, no, it shouldn't be no. anyone on Spark. No, no, no. Okay. Alas is a Spark hater maybe, over here. He, he's a non-believer. Can be Glister. Like I think it will be by the end of the year if they utilize Glister more and more in the hit scan role. I think it could be Glister because he can actually shine on that team. And I think, he, like my opinion, like I thought he was a great free agent talent was my like really strong opinion. I think there was like some GM survey thinking. Who do you think is going to be the best trade or like acquisition? Not like free agent acquisition, but like trade in the year. And I put down Glister or like most surprising or something like that. Uh, so, right. I, I mean, I still have a lot of belief in this guy. I, I think he's a good player uh, for sure. Uh, and like, I think on London, he was underrated. And I'm still hoping if Shock does well, like he'll be able to shine. So I, I guess it hasn't shown yet. But if Shock utilizes him more and more, I, I think he's a great player that will really shine. Like the kids 
aim is insane for sure. Okay. Uh, and I think his game sense is really good. He was known as a flexible player, but he's like gone to general. But maybe we can see that flexibility again if Shock can utilize him a little bit more. Mm. I'm going to throw out a pick that's it definitely based on recency bias. But if I was to give the award right now, I think I'd give my award to Hawk. Because I think that while I yeah, saw a huge big. amount of talent and potential in him when he was in contenders and was going to the gauntlet and stuff, I've not particularly been impressed with this performance in Owl in general across his career. But the June Joust, I was watching him and the guy just, he, he felt like... It was almost like an, a, an epiphany watching him because he went from being a player that was okay to just knowing exactly what his role was in the metagame. And he was everywhere at all times having major impact on the diva when they were rushing, running these Arisa diva compositions. I was really impressed with his play in the, the entirety of the June Joust. I think he was one of the major components to their success, which I haven't said or wanted to say about Hawk since he joined the Overwatch League. There hasn't been one moment or one meta where I've gone, damn, that's the player that I saw when I was watching Contenders. And uh, I really felt like he, he'd stepped up in this most recent tournament. And I'm hoping yeah. that it's progress as we continue. So not necessarily most improved, but maybe like recapturing some of that greatness that and potential that he showcased initially. I mean, that would follow most improved because he wasn't looking good before to you. Yes, and now he's yeah, improved. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, right. yeah. Well, that's why I, I think it's it interesting that you guys chose two off tanks on teams that kind of struggled last year and that are doing much better now. Like yeah. to me, a lot of it is team diff. Like I, cool. I think I like failed space last year and like he wasn't able to shine as well as he could have. Uh, whereas this year, like I feel like he's on the same page. We're doing a lot more review. He's getting a lot more individual review. Like he's able to to shine a bit more. So I feel like the same for Atlanta. They just look more cohesive. Whereas uh, last season they didn't. So. Uh, I think that's like a big part. Like you're always, especially on the off tank role. I feel like it's so easy to be a feeder on Diva specifically, right? For like sure. you're, you're either in there with your team and you're like killing everyone, or you're DMAC constantly because your team's like AFK doing nothing, uh, and you're trying to hold space and take space and just feeding. So, uh, yeah, I think that makes sense for for like why those players outside looking in like would look like really improved but i'm under the believer of like team diff i guess i mean um, i don't I, I, I thought space was great last year i just didn't think he looked great at the beginning of this year oh I really Space was still great last year i like obviously he wasn't like at his peaks because of like team issues and like the synergy mm. with that but i personally that my personal belief is like, i just did not think space was having the impact he normally had even last year at the beginning of this year but i think now he's back to normal space and i think he's popping so okay I'm going to move things on to the next award that we have, which is Rookie of the Year of the Midseason. It's it's the Rookie Award. So either who you think is going is the front runner to win it at the end of the season, or the rookie you think would get it right now if it was awarded. Um, I want to go in reverse order and throw Deepay under the bus early on here. Who's your rookie to watch, or who's your rookie to award it to right now? Who's leading that race? I think at least from the NA region. The two obvious ones to me are Ellie and Piggy, uh, two like good friends too. So it's really funny. But uh, I think those two are like, those were people we scouted as well. Maybe it, this is like a big problem is that I have like this bias towards oh, people that gross. we like thought highly of in, in scouting reports. Right. But uh, I think both those guys are fantastic players. Pelly like definitely popped off in the uh, playoffs, right? Like he did a great job and it's clear that he's a great DPS player, flexible DPS player. Uh, Unfortunately, unable, only able to showcase the Echo uh, in the June Joust, but I, I think he's really flexible and really good on every hero, to be honest. 
Uh, and then I think Piggy is also kind of this really good player who's maybe, I, I don't really know what the narrative around Outlaws is. Maybe it's around like the DPS players or something or Jongu or something. But I think Piggy is like a, a really exceptional player at specifically Sigma and Zarya. So when those heroes are in meta, he looks really, really good, uh, I think. And those are two like standout rookies. I think another one like that I can say, but it's biased, is like I think Skewed and Muse uh, also, if by the end of the year, like our team gets to where I think they can go, like those two will be like, uh, you, you guys will start seeing them once once our team starts doing better. Like those two guys, I think, are, are really good rookies uh, who are going to kind of pop off if we do well in this next tournament. Connor, what are you thinking? I'm trying to think of like the problem is there's not that many like rookie players this year. There aren't that many, no. Comparatively, compared to yeah, our there past aren't. years, compared it's to crazy. our past years, there's not that many rookies. In previous um, years, yeah. it almost felt like rookie of the year was just another MVP vote. You know, you had Axel, yeah. you had Alarm, you had Axel uh, the rookie, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, the rookie and Alarm <laughs> as well, the rookie. I mean, yeah. it's just yeah. it was nonsense. But this year. At least most of them are, in some sense, true rookies. They they've had Closer, success yeah. at the contenders level, but not. I for like I'm actually going to throw years. one out of left field, and, to see, and this is going to be one that if there if this keeps up at this level, it's pretty impressive. It's going to be like, oh yeah, this guy owns is um the flex support for Paris. What's his name again? Oh, Khan. Khan. I, like I actually, I actually think if Khan keeps up this level of performance, because Paris, I was not big on Paris coming in. I was, I mean, like I was really down low on all of the, the budget poo string tier teams that were <laughs> rebuilt. But like Paris was definitely down there, and they've impressed me a lot most recently. Okay. It could have just been a meta thing because I think they understood the meta pretty well early, and they didn't necessarily master it. I don't think they necessarily have the talent fully on the roster to be the best, but. I look at it because also I'm always skeptical of whatever talent EU says is the next big thing. Khan actually is um, looking really good. I think okay. there's even a shot to potentially made to for Naga if he kept, keeps up his performance on Echo. Uh, you, both I mean, from Paris. The, these are kind of crazy picks, though, Avash. Like, it's, it would be wild if a rookie I know they're crazy here. picks, but how is it any more crazy than Pelican? What if Pelican's only had one good stage? Sure, sure. Oh. Okay, okay. I go with Pelican. Though. I don't, I don't think Pelican. it's more crazy. I don't think it's less crazy than Pelican for sure. I like it though. I think it's Piggy and Pelican. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the okay. thing is, it's not that like just sure Pelican has the pedigree, right? And it's had a really, really good stage, looked like the best echo in the league, but it's still one stage so far that we've yeah. seen from Pelican cool. that looks like a rookie of the year performance. Jonathan, what are you thinking? No, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll pick Pelican. Okay. I, I mean, it's between him and Piggy, in my opinion. See, no right? one's picked my. No one's picked my my go-to. Oh, thing. are we about to hear a copy pasta right here? No, 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 no. This isn't like a copy pasta game. I don't, feel, I don't feel crazy strong about this, but Gaga's I think. Gaga's a good uh, candidate, I think, too. Sorry. What, sorry? Gaga, I think, is a really good candidate. I don't I, think he's like a rookie by the traditional sense. He's been a long sure. mainstay in Chinese For me, at the moment, if you were going to give it to any one person, it would be shy for me because I think he t he's mm. come in and he's just turned a franchise around. Like the the, the pre shy days and the post shy days of the Spark are very shy, different. Yeah. They are very sure, different, yeah. and he's been popping in the APAC region individually. So there. while there isn't a clear front runner right now, I think it, I would give the award to, to Shy personally. I think he would edge it out slightly over somebody like Piggy. I want to see more from Piggy. I want to see whether it's like team diff. I don't know. It, it is so hard to extract the off-tank from the team success that they're having. Piggy looks really, really good, and IBM Watson knows more than me and rates them super, super highly. So it's... 
yeah, it's it's interesting to take a look at that. Piggy does seem to be doing incredibly well, but the 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 flashiness of Shy has just suckered me in. Suckered me in. Don't fall for you it. Just, you I, just fucking hate I, the spark. I simped for the spark in the beginning. I was the one in the preseason rankings. You thought I was crazy with spark. And they've beaten me down to the dirt at all <laughs> opportunities. They've beaten me fucking down. I thought their roster was insanely stacked. And they still haven't even begun to touch how many stacked players they have on that roster. All right, all right, There's all right. Yeah. We're going to rein the simp in. He's, he's, a, he's essentially just a scorned lover at this point. That's I, what it I'm is. Fucking pissed he's at that team. Back. I'm pissed at that team. I'm mad at okay. them. I'm mad at that team. The next award is... I like Shy though, as the pick, for sure. Like, Shy, I think, too, could be, like, one of the next... Like, he was spotted as, like, the Chinese, like, superstar GPS yeah. that he wanted to pick up once he turned 18. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this was the guy people were talking about for, like, three years, so... Uh, I think we have to see, but yeah, definitely. I need to see more. Need the to see the more. next Too award early. is Coach of the Year of the Midseason. Um, oh. So, this might be a bit awkward, not going to lie, because, um, David, we don't if have you can't here, pick right? yourself, who are you going to pick? Myself? What is that hubris, that narcissism? Oh, <laughs> uh, It's got to go to to Rush, no? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think I think it's like super clear to me just because he's rounded up. It's not like a new team, but it's kind of a new team. Uh, the success they've had, like it clearly and coach of the year is also always like team team diff too. like you. You're not going to give it even if like a bottom team look good. You're not going to give it to them compared to some some guy like Rush and Dallas Fuel who are like seeing tournament success. Even if like some unexpected team was doing well, like you'd still give it. to. Them. So to me, it's like very clearly Rush. Uh, and I think that's like the clearest decision uh, for me, at least. Yeah. I'm afraid yeah. I'm going to have to fall into the rush party as well. Though I will say, I'm I'm feeling much better about Moon's coaching style with Shanghai making changes and still maintaining success and also making right. good adjustments throughout tournaments too. The thing with Moon is that I always feel like he's so hands-off. I don't actually understand what the process is on that team when they talk about moon and moon won coach of the year last year right i think for the regular season um but when the players were talking about him they were describing him in very vague terms of being like an emotional leader and that kind of stuff and i can never get my a grip on like what coaches do when players describe them like that if they're not in like you know like leading review or delegating tasks very specifically and you know i want to know the specifics of what's involved but yeah even though my moon stonks are definitely rising rush is the clear winner for me yeah i do think um you could give a shout to like junk buck harsha and jake i suppose uh i mean you can't you have you have to pick either of uh junk buck and harsha i suppose uh, but, you know, it's the Houston Outlaws, and they've been doing well. Have they, you know, advanced to a stage playoffs? No, they haven't. But they got a 7-1 uh, record. They've had a pretty easy strength of schedule. But they're finding success, and they're the Houston Outlaws. Um, and they came into yeah. the year with a bunch of rookies, uh, some of which people didn't rate at all. And they're doing good for themselves. So you got to applaud that. Uh, it just so happens that Rush has been a monster this year. They also played Brigitte Moira with Reaper. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they also did that one. Just going to put that out there. Not that, yeah. but I do actually agree on the basic sentiment that they are like Junkbox also been really good for way before that. But I think this is also the first year where the head coach, the like the coach of the year award goes to not just a team diff because I'm going to go into the rush, but also it's the first time I could say not team diff simply because they have defied the meta many times by lip, simply not having hit scan. 
in their lineup. You know, they simply they have they have I feel like they've made it work with Sparkle's hero pool and picked perfect mid like game adjustments and like there are comps coming into matches which other teams would have struggled really heavily with if they had the lack of flexibility we assumed they were going to have coming into this season, yeah, right? Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of people look at the Dallas roster and are like, okay, a lot of really good players here, but we seem to be missing a hit scan uh, with XE retiring and we seem to be missing uh, a tracer player. And we also seem to be missing like a, a, a more well-rounded main tank, right? With Fearless. We're like, we knew Fearless really top tier on certain heroes, but we didn't know how he was going to be on things like Ryan. Um, and well, so Orissa as well, particularly and Orissa, yeah, and Orissa, uh, and particularly that. So I think that when you look at this, this is no longer just a pure team difference, for, like we've sort of seen for other years, where it's kind of easy to like, oh, this coach coached the best team, but also there's a clear deficit being worked around here with fuel I mean, halfway through the season. Yeah, even if even if it was a team diff though, Rush essentially got given a, a blank checkbook and told to make a team that would win. So. Well, that's what's that even point, more mind-boggling is that he was told to make a team to win. They don't pick up a tracer player, right? And they still do. You <laughs> yes, know, they still, yes, they still make a good true. team. That that definitely did seem like a flaw in the plan very early okay. on, and could still come I, back I, to bite I, them. But my point being that this is this doesn't really seem like the kind of situation where you have a coach, but also someone else was in charge of a lot of the roster too. A, it does seem from the outside that Dallas essentially just gave the keys to the castle to Rush, and he runs the place, and so. He, the buck stops with him and any responsibility and um, and accountability also stops with him. But also you have to give him the credit if it does work and it has been working extraordinarily well. Yeah, I, I on that Dallas Fuel topic as well, I was actually thinking about potentially giving most improved player to Sparkle, which sounds kind of controversial when you think about it. Because yes, it this guy, you know, was a big reason. Listen, listen to me, okay? okay? There's a big reason why the Paris Eternal won the Summer Showdown, okay? Because he came in and played Genji. But that's just kind of what it did, okay? That's what we were promised. His May last year was pretty ass. Like, it was pretty bad. And I'm not saying that he's, like, an amazing May now. But I think it was very overemphasized and overhyped last year as to how, Spark how good Sparkle was coming into the league. I could buy into some of that hype. I could see it. But he didn't have the versatility as a player, in my opinion. You know, he was bound to the Genji and playing that very, you know, uh, projectile kind of role. But now, improving the way he did on Tracer and making it work for the Dallas Fuel, that was just, like, epic stuff. That was elite Overwatch-caliber player stuff. Um, and the way he's just been able to integrate himself into this team um, and facilitate himself as, like, a championship player. I didn't think that he could do this last year. Like, I think he was a good rookie that was good at playing projectile, but I think he was overhyped coming into the league, and now he's very versatile. Um, you know, he keeps just making right decisions in the game, and you can see this in his macro game, like positioning um, always has impact. And I didn't think he had this in, had this in him. So I, I'm going to say Sparkle as well for a shout as most improved player, okay. because I think he's taking leaps and bounds, big strides, um individually right, that's that is definitely here. an out there pick but i i can appreciate yeah, I the thought crazy process behind shit. it no crazy <laughs> really that's crazy person shit everyone knows what sparkle does and sparkle does his heroes perfectly well when he's on the heroes he plays he plays them perfectly well and this is a team diff showing like i, I i'm guessing I, I don't even know for sure his tracer stats are probably not that good right like i'm fucking guessing i, I would imagine so huh. yeah they're probably mediocre uh, but it speaks to his quality of player is so high. 
I believe he could play Zarya. I believe he could play Brig, and like he would have insanely high on these roles. Once he has the hero proficiency down, it's no problem for him. And even but aside from that, you can tell their their team EM has always played around so well. Uh, I, I think this kid is like you know that's like saying Oxel, you know like. I feel like they're in the same vein of these like super limited hero pool wise uh, players, but just incredibly high impact players when they do get to play the heroes that they play. And also that their quality of player is like how they work with the team is just fucking insane. Like I, I think that Sparkle always had this in him and it just Harris just had like not as good of a team around him compared to now. And they haven't okay. had as favorable metas, but I, Sparkle to me is, is just not like he suddenly got better or something. I think he was always just, really really okay. good just but limited always limited in his uh hero pool i want to um i want to move on to our next award here which is the mvp of the mid-year of the mid-season um i'm i'm gonna start this off because i feel like it's to, to me an obvious pick because it's still fearless it's it's fearless he's been insane he is the driving force the spearhead of the dallas fuel and despite the fact that he was shut down and made to look uncomfortable in their loss that to me also defines the fact that they had to shut him down so hard to even have a chance at squeaking out that win so that is just like he's a phenomenal player he would absolutely win my mvp of the midseason what what do you think of asked i well first of all i agree with the fearless pick i could even you could even make the argument for like sparkle as well on dallas but uh I think there is a candidate, another tank candidate from a top team that is a very interesting MVP pick. And I think they were kind of, they've been left, they've been sometimes circled this conversation a lot, but Void on, on the Dragons. Okay. I think okay. Void on the Dragons, the more I've seen from Void now, and like he was really good when he played previously too, but like the more and more I've seen from this, and like when I watched their success back here recently and even before that, like Void is just consistently poggers. He's just consistently so good. Like he's actually his he has great he has great utility usage, great peel. His his time because also a big thing that a lot of off tanks struggle with is like their timings of like okay when am I engaging when am I disengaging and I feel like Void always has a great grasp of when he needs to be committing or not committing, which is so important for your off tank positioning and like the more macro sense of your fights. And the more I've seen for Void, I think Void is like an MVP caliber player. He was, he was my still, MVP pick last year, but yeah, but, but it, not that many people echoed that sentiment. Right. Um, yeah. And I didn't also, I was not, a, I don't think I, I hope, <laughs> I don't remember what I even picked for MVP last year, but I don't think it was Fleta. Um, so, you know, we're in agreement there, but the, okay, the point okay. being is I think fearless is still kind of far and away. Like when you see the impact he has on the game, it's kind of hard to argue against fearless and just the success the team has, but void has to be given a good shout out in my okay. opinion especially because you know where right. Shanghai is currently at. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be going with... Uh, yeah, I, I think... I think Fearless probably has to be it, just the way Dallas will have been playing. But I do think that Void is a good... good shout, though. To me, I, mean, I, I don't feel too strongly about the candidate yet. I think that Fearless, okay. you know, he's still carrying over the momentum from May Melee performance, where he was the MVP candidate by far. I'm still, you know, leaving it open for interpretation. You know, I got a few candidates like Void, like Fearless, that I think could make a definitive run for it. Can I interest any of you in my lip wares? 
I, that's the other candidate from the Shanghai Dragons that I was thinking of. I think I think thought that Lips Hitscan has been phenomenal so far this season, but also the flexing over to play Tracer, which I wasn't aware was in his wheelhouse at all. And he came out and he played a, a world class Tracer when, when it came to the main melee, um, and has just been super solid all season long. Outside of that, too, I, I think he's another person that's in the race. It would just require Phyllis to drop off, <laughs> in my opinion. Where do you stand on this, David? I think maybe it's just because May Melee was so insane to me, but Fearless is actually just this monster. I think another thing that's not talked about Fearless is just like, it's clear he's in the game. And like, there can be coach diff, whatever, but when Fearless is on a team, you can feel, you can feel him in the game. I, I don't really know how to describe it, but like as a player, I'm pretty sure they like feel he's in the game when he's on Monkey. And... Like, I, I think that impact is just indescribable. Shanghai used to be like Fuel, uh, like in terms of that they were like a monkey one-trick team and they always made Fearless's strengths work. The time that they didn't is when they lost right? Like, they didn't do too Yeah, well. yeah. But like, and his Arisa's not good. Like, I'm certain uh, his Arisa's not very good at all. But uh, in terms of just like having this raw impact to the game, like, Dallas plays that style with Fearless. Like, I think the cool thing about Dallas, just go wrapping back to like the coach of the year conversation, uh, I think Rush has a cool job where he's asked to make something work, basically. And he like put himself in that position. He was the one who gave himself that roster. So that's interesting. But he knows how to make shit work is like the really important of coaching. Like we've talked about it as, as a team. Sometimes there's comp dip, whatever, there's strategy dip. But there is so much value in making shit work. And they made shit work with Sparkle. They made shit work with Doha. They made shit, like, with Fearless's style as well. They really aren't playing Arisa anywhere. They're, that was never a fucking option for them is to go Arisa. They were on the Winston and the Ryan train. Those were the only two, like, main things he would play. I don't think Fearless's ball is good. I doubt they'll ever try to play ball unless the hero pools demand it. Because uh, I think that's a weakness of his as well. So... I mean, I just see the impact that he has in the game. The main melee was like a carry performance for sure. But I definitely see merit into just which team wins the most tournaments over the year. Like who has the most uh, success, you'll probably put the MVP candidate on that team. Because I think Void and Lip are both very good players. Flat is a very good player. Like I think all these players are very good and it's hard to see like who exactly. But that's why Fearless stands out to me is like individually, it is clear his presence. Like I'm really clear about what he is providing to the team, how he like his style and what that brings to the team. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, really clear on that. Whereas Void, like, I think he's a fantastic player. Uh, and I think his player quality is so high. That timing thing that you were talking about, Avast, I, I think that's really important. But I, not saying like off tank doesn't have, off tank is like one of the most important positions in Overwatch, but uh, I don't see him like leaving his, his mark other than just by being like extremely skilled. Uh, which is like very valuable in itself. So that's why I like lean fearless specifically is because I see his impact into the game specifically. Like I really sense his style. I really sense that fearless is playing the fucking game and you have to play against him. I, I got so, mad an anxiety when you brought that up because I just like got like flashbacks to playing Overwatch and just overthinking where one specific opponent is on the map mm, at all right. times and what it's doing. And then you're so distracted, you fuck up what you're supposed to do because you're just thinking like, where's Fearless? Where's Fearless? What is Fearless what are up they to? Doing? What yeah. Are they doing? Yeah. I, it, it's such an annoying feeling. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I could definitely see that with Fearless, given how good he is. Who uh, was that player for you? I'm, I'm curious. Sorry? 
who was the players that you were like ultra ultra afraid of? Uh, I didn't have one. No, I just got the uh, feeling. Like I just got oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. the chills. Huh. Yeah. Chills yeah, on my body. Was the friend. Mine was Defran. I remember playing oh, for really? Selfless and I was like, God fucking damn it, where is Defran? Like, where is he now? Like <laughs> yeah. I remember Defran being an absolute fucking monstrosity to play against back in the day in NA. Guaranteed, everyone in NA at that time was awful. But like still, I yeah. just it, yeah. I just remember Defran being that player. I was like, oh shit, he's gonna be in the rafters. <laughs> you wake up with it with cold chills all over your body. Yeah. Um, so. The next award that I want to go through, we're we're gonna we're gonna go through this kind of snappy, right? It's our all-star team of the mid-season. So what that means is, first of all, the tanks. We're gonna start with fearless. I'm locking that one in. There's no discussion, boys, because we've already given him yeah, most of the MVP fair. votes. The the off tank. Does anyone have another one other than void that they want to put up for the discussion? Because otherwise, I feel like that's like a lock piggy. as well, honestly. But are we talking what piggy handling? Supposed to do? What? Sorry. Is like an all-star team supposed to compete and that's like the best version no. of the team? Are you looking for synergy or just like who's like the top? In Pure theoretical. Thing? It's just throw the best teams together. It won't fucking work, but who cares? There's your team, you know? It's like yeah. it's like if, if you just gave people infinite money and they thought that they could just pick out the best people possible. Um, who, who would you go with at this point? Piggy, Hanbin, Void? What's, what's the thoughts here? I, I, I gotta go. I, I think... I mean, I think it's a toss-up between Hanbin and Void, personally. But I think Void has been so instrumental in Shanghai's success when maybe Fate hasn't been able to do what Fearless did for Dallas Fuel. So in that sense, Fate was the more impactful of the... or the more consistent of the two tanks for Shanghai Dragons, while Hanbin played alongside Fearless in that mm. regard, which was okay. the easier job of the two, in my opinion. So I'll go with Void on this one. What do you think, David? I think, I mean, Void and Hanbin, funnily enough, have the same amount of, or like similar amount of experience with Fearless. Uh, I think Void has more impact, but I think Hanbin's not too far behind it. I'm not like too fussed between the two, but I'll, I'll just pick Void for okay, variety's yeah. sake, and Void's my boy. He's I'm a Void boy, simp so. as well. I've been simping yeah. for Void for the last two years, so I'm going to go with that as well. We'll lock in Fearless and Void. We're going to start to build the old Shanghai Dragons of last year here. Um, <laughs> supports as well. Start with the flex support, because I feel like that's the more obvious of the, the roles to pick from. Now, the normal candidates from last year, people like Violet and Alarm, they haven't been at the pinnacle of tournament championship stuff that's been going on this year. So where are we leaning here? Do you want to rely more on historical? Do you want to rely more on relevancy? A vast lead us in this discussion. Who would your well, pick I think, be? I think the I think... It's actually, at least for Violet's case, um, and maybe, and I'm probably alarm falls under that. It's Shock have clearly had issues with their roster and their grasp of the meta to where I don't think it means Violet is somehow worse now, right? It's no, more I, so. Because so. also, is this All Star team, what meta are they competing in? Like, are oh, we just saying. Get like, out of here with your questions. Okay, sure. Who knows? <laughs> Because, like, if you told me right now, like, oh, we're going back to full-time Zen meta, I would just pick Violet again, right? It's, like, I it's for the would. summer sure, showdown. Sure. It's for the summer um, showdown. But if it's for the summer showdown, I'm just going to say fuck it and be like, ah, man, like, it's, it's hard. But when I see, now that they're done with this stupid flex support roulette as well, like, if we're just basing it, I feel like I'm going to have to give it again to, like, I have to give it to, like, Fielder. Fielder, I think, like, okay. Because also, I feel like this, like the before, like 
I don't know. They were doing this weird shit with Repel. I'm glad that's over. I'm glad they're done with that. Like, just keep Filder in at all times. But actually, I could even make an argument theoretically for like Twilight um, to come back in for okay. based on his current year's performance. For all people, uh, okay. in yeah. This is, yeah, this is going to be snappy. Though. Based off his based off his current year's performance, I could even make an argument for Twilight. But I think I think overall, still from the consistency they've shown, and like it's really tough to disentangle it because, like I said, if it was a different meta, I would pick Violet, right? If it was a different meta, but realistically, I just have to give it to Fielder because it's hard to disentangle it. And I think the meta for Summer Showdown is going to be pretty similar to the meta that we've seen so far. Okay, okay, you're overthinking it, man. Uh, You're overthinking it. I I think we're, we're, you know, for, you know, arguably good reasons, we're valuing achievements in so far this season pretty highly in that regard as well. So I'll just say it. So David doesn't have to, but I think Shu has been impressive so far this season as well. Okay. Um, I like that. Like, I think there's a good bunch of flex support players there in that conversation. Fielder is obviously like the number one pick. And I think I got to go with Fielder over Violet myself for flex support. So we have mostly also had Anna and Moira metas so far, which yeah, is exactly yeah. Fielder. Which is why I would not be picking Violet. Like if you were told me it's an Anna right. Moira, I'd be like, fuck it. I'm not going to pick Violet for that shit. Like, absolutely not. Like I'd yeah. pick a ton of other players. Yeah, yeah. And I think you have to base the all-star team based on the performance of this year, right? Like it's sure. not over history. Yes, that's right. not fair. An all-star team. Yeah. That's just like, uh, what team would you make? That's great. But like, I feel <laughs> yeah, like an all-star yeah. team award is different. So uh yeah i think fielder probably deserves that award just because of his like team success my opinion is still if he was better like for a lot of these these things like i still think my players are better but like that that's like a individual dip versus like what performance have they had this year like fielder has clearly had like really good moira is really important and fielder i think is actually like the best moira so uh i think fielder probably would do it Izaki also probably a close second uh in that regard because i think he's a good moira and he's a i think he's an exceptional honor Mm. Uh, so, but, the, but just based off the performance of this year, again, I'd choose like my whole my whole team if I could. <laughs> for the main support role, it actually again gets really weird this year because your major candidates of people like um, like Moth, he has been subbed out fairly often for Skewed. For people like uh, Funny Astro, hasn't been able to get any playtime this year. Um, Lee J Gon is still a decent candidate. There's also no, um, who is the ca- I mean Jexa has been playing for a top t- top team as well. But again, those are they they still have their quite clear weaknesses in terms of how they play. They're not the all rounded beast players like Funny Astro or Moth that, that they've shown us before. The other candidate that I was about to say was. Um, Oh, Nisha as well, who we didn't mention oh, yeah. for Rookie of the Year, but has actually been a fucking oh, freak true. on Brig and Mercy. Yeah. I like Nisha a lot. I don't. I haven't like kept up with him, but we scrimmed against him once, and I, I thought his Brig was good. I saw a bot of his Mercy. I think his Mercy is good. Uh, flexibility is important. I don't know how good his Lucio is. Like, I have I'm not, not a clue how good his Lucio is. I, I think he's played I like 10 minutes of the grade Why would Apex really bad? Why would Chengdu ever play Lucio, though? So. Yeah. That's a good question. That's, yeah. What, what were you saying, Jonathan? You heard through the grapevine I heard, what? I heard through the grapevine that his Lucius is really bad. Is that right? I mean, probably. He never I plays think... it. Why would yeah, it be I mean, good? I, I, don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm just like... I, Which I is don't... very strange coming from the long dynasty of Lucio, of Chinese Lucio players, you know? It's very strange, but... A dynasty of Chinese Lucio players. I'm just, I'm pretty much sure you got five king. Yeah, I got five. Also, to be fair, to be fair, Evil Tool was a really good 
Lucio player as yes. well. Yes. Yeah. And still yeah. is. So who the fuck are we giving this to? Who takes the support slot? Are we are we going for like historic moth, even though he doesn't play everything this season? We take on is like an obvious answer, Anthony. But yeah. Yeah. I, I mean like just because Lucio he's like performance wise, he's been in uh the grand or the grand finals for these tournaments. Uh he's flexible on Lucio and Brig. Uh I think Jexe is like kind of weak mechanically, is my opinion. So I, I wouldn't consider him, but you could make an argument for performance, but Lee Jagon is like a simple answer, but we're kind of just building this like hybrid team of Shanghai and Fuel. Uh, <laughs> no, so I kind of well, like, I like Nisha and I, I obviously like Moth as well, but yeah. Where are you going? I'm picking Moth. Moth? I'm picking okay. Moth still. I am right. still, I, I, I'm, I, I, I hold, I've held this opinion for a while now after seeing it. Lee Jagon is just better IDK to me. That's how I feel about uh, Lee Jagon. <laughs> Is that, isn't that Gong, everyone? I, I rate the IDK really fucking low. So isn't everyone um, a better version of IDK? Well, so no? the thing the is, fire. people used to rate ID. So I'm going to base it off like people used to rate IDK very highly because he got two boops once on Lijong. And so like everyone's like, IDK is amazing. <laughs> and like, I was like, ah, I'm, I'm not sure about this. But like, I actually think Moth is still the most well-rounded flex support in the league, even though he's been subbed out. But I feel like that's more to do with the fact of like the specific strategy that is currently ongoing for the Gladiators, more so than his capabilities as a player. Um, so, and I think if you put Moth on a lot of different rosters, he would still the intangibles that Moth can bring is like next level comparatively to like a lot of main support players. And I still think Moth is very well-rounded. Um, even if he's not like perfect. And personally, at the end of the day, if it's a Lucio meta, Moth's never gonna fucking feed. Dijagong's gonna yes. feed his fucking brains out and, and ra just randomly. He just Sometimes. will. He'll do it. Sometimes, Sometimes he will. Sometimes. Like, obviously, yeah. he can win you games too, but I would always rather have like, and also, we're playing a solo Lucio meta too. You know who else I'd throw out there? I'll just throw it because I just have to say it Toby. I'm gonna say fucking Toby. I love Toby. You little fucking simp. Shut your mouth, you little simp. Fucking love Toby. That guy. That guy was the original perfectly balanced main support I, player. I'd rather give it to really Funny Astro, even though balanced. he hasn't played at all than Toby. No, I would. The thing is, I love Astro too. He's like top main support, but I would still always put Moth and maybe not Toby <laughs> over Astro, but I would still put Moth over Astro. So. Maybe this is why Avast only played one game because he doesn't <laughs> know <laughs> Lucio gameplay. <laughs> Might be, but I think Moth is still the perfectly balanced True. main support. I like he is incredible. Yeah. Balanced. I love Moth, so, but I love, again, I'd pick all my players. <laughs> yeah. But that's not fair. I'm going with Lee Jagon. I don't know about you, okay. Josh, but. All right. Well, we'll lock it in at Lee Jagon then. And uh, mm -hmm. as for DPS, um, I, again, I, I want to throw out Lip here. I feel like he's been so yep. fantastic this season that I would want him as my um, hit scan tracer kind of player, but also flexes over to play Sombra as well. He's incredibly versatile and has showcased everything he's almost everything that fuel doesn't have right now and that's i mean apart from the sombra where he and doha have some serious overlap sure but he is he is coming into his own as just a fantastic all like super well-rounded player this year whereas we already yeah. knew he had that star sombra and the long-range hit scan to rely on the the stuff he's building into his repertoire this year as well has just been stellar for me so he would be my pick for for dps along with probably i don't even know maybe sparkle or something just because he's been sublime in terms of what his impact on the team um i don't in, think you like can have any style defining way one of them right like, because sparkle I, has to be one of them I like Doha. More. I know Sparkle has more of a brand name, but I, I think Doha is seriously in that conversation as well. Uh, but maybe, no. maybe that's just 
my opinion when when they played tracer echo i felt like doha was doing a lot of good stuff on echo yeah uh, definitely and he plays a lot of the harder projectiles like a lot better i think his maze a lot better uh in particular like yeah. his may was really really good and he's all like his sombra is like really flexible as well i think i agree with lip though uh people don't didn't know this before i think this year but he was an insane reaper player uh his tracer is good uh but it was like better than expected going into the thing and he can also play like hit scan if needed as well so yeah. i i like the lip pick what yeah, do you I think what do you lip think the, uh... sorry did you say connor or me no, you, you, the you other side of the. Yeah, I, I think Lip, Lip, Lip is the one we can all agree on. I mean, he was, he has been spectacular so far this year. I'm actually going to go with Doha, I think, as well here. As much as I like the recency bias of Pelican here, um, nah. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's be between Sparkle or Doha, pretty much right in that other role. But I like what I like what you mentioned about uh, Doha, specifically in May Melee. I feel like you know. The, the competitive Overwatch Reddit, they did some things right in trying to, you know, put the spotlight onto Doha. But the big talking points in the main melee was Sparkle playing Tracer and how big that was for the Dallas Fuel and how he contributed to the team that way. So that Doha didn't really get enough credit on that echo role. And it sort of has to do with the personality thing as well, right? Like if you have someone like Sparkle, who's so, so obviously happy, um, just positivity, screaming into the mic on stream, <laughs> stuff like that, they're naturally going to get the spotlight over the likes of Doha. Uh, but I think that Doha has is probably the player I'd pick between the two of them if I'm as making an all-star uh, DPS lineup here. Um, and then, yeah, everything you said about Lip. He's been phenomenal so far. So I, I'd go with Doha Lip too. Well, you if the meta's have been different, I would throw out uh, another candidate. If the metas have been different, I would throw it out Yaki again. But oh, the metas Yaki have, has I don't, been a beast, actually. But yeah. I mean, Yaki's amazing. But the thing is, I don't think currently the year has aligned for him as well. And I don't, I think part of it though is just team oriented. Like legitimately, if Mayhem had a better grasp of the meta, I think Yaki would be in the conversation again. Because Yaki is, I think he's consistently, like it's just like Yaki go kill and Mayhem wins games like off of it yeah. all the time. Um, but I don't necessarily, it's hard to really put him above currently players that have shown consistent greatness like, uh, like Lip. Uh, in particular, who would be competing for some, I guess, a sort of similar role, even though he's also a projectile player. He's a hyperflex. If we want, like, not Shanghai and Dallas, just because, like, those are like the really obvious picks because they they've achieved the most like accolades throughout the season. It's like really easy to pick them. But like, yeah, uh, I think like Birdring, for example, has had like oh, a really good season, great, and like yeah, that's yeah. true. I, I think like Birdring is very similar to Lip in terms of like how he's showing his flexibility. Uh, yeah. and like, yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think Birdring's doing really no, well. But I mean, that again, is a good, would, it's a good one, but also... point to the end of the year and see the I love, results, right? I love how you slip that one in. You're just like, hey, guys, by the way, if you're, not, if you're looking for one that isn't Shanghai or Dallas, yeah. I've got a prime little... By the way, don't bench Birdring, Birdring to sell again. You. Don't bench Birdring again, David. Don't do it. I'm just going <laughs> to... Don't do it. Don't bench Birdring again. But still, I... That's actually... Actually, oh. If I were to pick my... If I were to pick my non-winning DPS duo, it would be Yaki Birdring. Okay. All right. Well, you're yeah. going to get overruled then by voting for a third-party candidate that doesn't have as many votes as others. You've yeah. just politicked way, yourself. By the way, to this Shanghai uh, Dallas Fuel thing we got going on here as well, I think that's just the unfortunate reality of the year as well. Because the Gladiators, as much as I like the players on the Gladiators, you know, I think they've done really well for themselves uh, individually. They've been fantastic. But like, it's just the nature. 
you know, the, the, the way things have gone, where now people are hyping up Dallas-Shanghai to be this, quote-unquote, shock Vancouver rivalry, but set in 2021, where you have these two giants uh, in their individual regions, and then they get to face off against each other in the stage playoffs. Like, I think that's just unfortunate for all the other players and all the other teams, really, because these two teams have been so good. But you're right in that Birdring has been really good. Moth is still a fantastic main support. She won the flex support role. Like the, these players are really insane. And Gladius is probably one of the two teams behind them who is like this. I don't, I, I, it's not even worth saying up and cumber, but one of the teams knocking on the door, like, yo, we deserve to be in the spotlight too. So I don't blame you, David, for bringing I mean, up your players because it's, there's, yeah, there you are a the bunch right of other reasons. teams too. Like, one team that we haven't even mentioned is the Shock. Whenever we've been talking about these other teams too, we didn't mention like Choyobin in the running or I mean, Striker. Is not doing running. fantastic the year? Striker, Violet. Like, these are still the same guys as last yeah. year. Their player quality is insanely yeah, high. Yeah, but Crossley is not on the podcast. So I don't care. <laughs> also, I mean, you can make the argument that Violet is not having a fantastic year because his grasp of Moira is relatively low comparatively to like a lot of his heroes, right? Compared yeah, I mean, to like Choi or Striker, I would think Violet has fallen out of the conversation just because that it's hasn't not been particularly. That meta, right? Yeah, it's just not his meta right now. So it's unfair to really put Violet forward all heavily because it's just not his meta. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I, I, w- I want to lock it in though because we need to move on here. So we've got Fearless, Void, um, Fielder, Lee Jagon, then we had Lip, Lip and, and Doha. Doha, I believe we yep. ended up with. So or there's your... up to you. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. I mean, it would make more sense to have Doha on this roster. So I, I would, like, if you're having Lip, you might as well have Doha. So sure, Doha. Okay, very well. Then that is our, that's our six-man all-star team in the mid-season. I want to move on, though, to the seventh player of the mid-year award because this was for very, very good players who are not usually in the starting lineup. So they don't have to be perma-benched, but they don't necessarily have to be the seventh player either. But somebody who is coming in to play and has a large impact from a primarily benched position. Um, Jonathan, I want to start with you again. Who's who's over there as your seventh player of the year this of the is, midseason? It's oh, not even no. fair that David's here right now for the seventh player of the year because there's a, such an obvious one that's obviously yeah. going to be brought up. I'll bring it up, but what? it's cool. Go, <laughs> you go first. No, Johnny, you go first. Do your topic. No, don't don't let me go first. No, I want to hear what these two have to say first. Um, no, I mean, um, I, no. I'm, mine's not going to be the obvious one though, because then I've done too many. I've done too many pandering gladiators picks already. I feel well. So then I can't okay, pick the let's begin with the guys. pandering. Really, then. I feel like yeah. You go. No, I, I want I, you to begin. I want you to begin. No, David. I'll do it. I'll let D- David. We know what David's going to pick, so I'll just go first. We know what David's. I know what he's going to say. So I'm actually going to pick, um, one that I think. Has been pretty interesting, but ha- is worthy of the shout out. And I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to pick Twilight. Ah, see, that was okay. that was the one that I was thinking of as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm picking Twilight for my seventh player. So, of the season, it, are so you far, picking so here like underrated kind of, or are you picking like? Well, I'm not picking underrated specifically. I'm simply saying that team. currently for the shock, if they did not have Twilight, I feel like the shock would be in a much situation this year. I- they I think Violet's Ana is not like at least something Krusty likes, uh, and like Ana has been, it's been Ana with Brig, right? Apparently, yeah. so I, I think that's like a very fair. Um, I, I think Twilight adds a lot for... to Shock currently. Like they would not yeah, be, they I would be much more situation already with their already existing roster holes and their rest of the meta if they did not Twilight. So that's my um, pick. David. Who are you going for? I think like 
I think you have to look at like distribution of playtime and like how impactful the seventh man is. So I like the Twilight pick. Uh, I don't know like what the actual playtime is, but uh, when he comes in, I think he is very impactful on Ana and gives them another dimension uh, that they don't have with uh, Violet. So my my picks, I, I'll give multiple picks just because like I think it's fair. I, I'm biased towards my own player. I think Skewed has like a lot of great, like uh, has a lot of playtime, at least like from you know, the maps that we choose and stuff like that. He has, like, a decent amount of playtime where it's essentially, like, close to 50-50 with him and Fun. And his impact on Brig is super high. Kind of, like, the same with Twilight when he gets brought in for that flex support change, for that, uh, it, it's, like, really impactful. So, that's, like, my best answer. I can give, like, a non-Gladiators candidate, and I'm not actually sure who to give it to, but I'm pretty sure it's Eddie of the three Atlanta Rain uh, DPS. They have, like, wow. a pretty healthy DPS rotation, but I would qualify yeah. Kai and Peli as, like, kind of the main DPS in terms of playtime. If I had to guess, like, they have a higher percentage of playtime. But Eddie, when he comes in, like, on the Tracer or on the Reaper or on the Sim or whatever he's playing, like, I think those are the three main purposes they put in for. Like, you can really see him shine. Like, uh, Atlanta, like, while uh, they, like, don't prefer the Lucio Moira comp, they had a lot of success because Eddie and Peli were in the lineup, and Eddie was, like, doing really good stuff for so, and I think that kind of fits with the seventh man vibe of like, you're not always in, but when you're in, you always have like this carry impact. And I think, mm. uh, Ellie, or sorry, uh, skewed, uh, Eddie and, uh, Twilight are all kind of in that question. Why do you perfect. shorten Pelly and Eddie? Why, where, where did that come from? Where's that coming from here? I've been here. I thought your mic's been cutting out, but like, you just call him Eddie and Pelly. What's going on? No, that's just, that's just what our team calls them. I, I, I don't know. It's just, okay. okay. I, I, I'm like cool with the players, so you know, I just <laughs> you know them like that. You know them like that. Yeah, that's I like call him Pelly because you know, that's, that's his stuff. first name. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, Jonathan, um, have you found a candidate yet? Well, I think it's very difficult, actually. I, I think it, there's the, the, there's not a rascal type of player to pick this time around, Josh. So I'm a okay. bit indecisive as well. Rascal's no still copy in the league, pastas. Though. Technically. Yeah, but you know, he's getting a lot of playtime as well. And it's not been that good, you know? Like I've sold my rascal stock. What? He was good in the main melee. He was. Yeah. I mean he they had their honeymoon phase. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But um No, I think I'd go with skewed as well, actually. Okay. I, I I'd go yeah, I think I'd this go with skewed bias, man. Am I getting pandered? No, no, wise. because like legit, I mean I think Avast has a good point with Twilight because when Twilight comes in, it's like his playmaking ability is insane and he's really contributing. But I don't think you can say that about a lot of other players. While the Gladiators, they have that kind of rotation going on with a very specific purpose between their three support players. And when Skewed comes in, he's generally been good on the Brig as well, um, making that work. So I think that's, you know, I don't think there's a ton of good examples. Like, could you say Flora from New York Excelsior? But... You know, sure. the, I don't, oh, I'm actually, not exactly I mean, sure about the playtime in New York. Yeah. Sure, but I mean, how much have Guangboon played? You, I think play like you can't less. pick Guangboon because that guy's put like negative hours on the on the field. So, but far. that's what I mean. He'd be yeah. the seventh player, right? Because Flora and Feather he can't be the seventh player because he doesn't exist he currently. He, I mean, like he hasn't played. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but I think I, I guess I, I think I go with skewed because of the purpose that he serves to the team. Um, what about what about Jake? He's a seventh player that's had large impacts. Oh my god! No, 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 no! Don't tell me the jersey and other things have been a huge, huge. They've been statistically player. impactful at covering up for Juby's <laughs> lack of hero pool. They they have won quite a lot, and there are um, extra things that Jake adds to the team. 
if we only had May Melee, there would be a conversation to be had about Jake as a seventh player, as for okay. the Brigida. But because we have gone beyond May Melee, if time has advanced linearly, we okay. can no longer include that. <laughs> okay. You are a big player. fan of the linear advancement of time. It gets yes, crops it is up a in a classic, lot of arguments. Uh, constant I'm a believer here. in it too, <laughs> for what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Moving on from this, then. I want to talk about the most underrated player of the mid year. The most underrated. Who do you guys feel is somebody that people aren't talking about and they need to start talking about this guy? I'll kick things off with, I think, just somebody that we've all mentioned so far. But And the community was actually really hot on this player. They've just faded a little. But Nisha, I think that actually just keeping an eye on no. this player is important. Because for somebody that is potentially would have potentially been in the running for our main support of the midseason so far on a team that hasn't even been doing incredibly well. There are the, the, the eclipse of them performing well from the replay viewer and stuff, and there was a lot of hype for the Mercy play for like a week and a half, but it hasn't been sustained. And I understand that half of that is because they haven't played any Lucio. and We don't know how good that is at all. But I, I feel like there's, um, there's a narrative here that needs to be continued as we progress through the season. I feel like Nisha has gotten his fair share of the spotlight, though. You think? Like, I, I you know, like, he's underrated, sure. Um, <laughs> I get that. You know, he's not in the... Yeah, but, like, I, you know, I don't think he got enough credit early. But he's always hovered around the conversation, around, like, great main support players in the league. Okay. And, you know, he was forgotten for our Rookie of the Year segment earlier. Um... But I think overall, like, Nisha's mentioned a fair amount. So, yeah, he's really good. But I think he right. does get mentioned to the degree where I personally couldn't select him from So who would you player. go with then? Um, oh, I just had it up in front of me. I, I'm actually going, okay. The, 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 I'm, I'm almost like <laughs> picking an even more egregious pick here now. Okay. That goes against exactly what I just said. But I'm going to go with Leave from the Chengdu Hunters. Leave? That guy gets all the hype in the world. He does not get all the hype in the world. He gets no, a he lot doesn't. of hype. No, he doesn't. Not to the extent of some of these other teams like Dallas, Shanghai, Gladiators. He does not get the same level of hype, uh, you know, comparing okay. to how good it really is. Like, he's a top two echo in the world and like all he doesn't right. even get the mentioned for our all-star team you know okay. i i think leave he's i you know it's hard to say that he's underrated but he's really fucking good in the apac region and he's been carrying the chengdu hunters not single-handedly but for a large part this season when chengdu has found success leave has been very very impactful for this team so while he's not super underrated I think that he's been extremely good in APAC. Um, okay. And so I, I think he deserves some props there. All right. Avast, what is your egregious I, uh, pick? So I'm trying to think here because, like, are we picking players that have just had no spotlight whatsoever? I'm just, I'm just trying to understand. I'm just trying to figure out what underrated, what are our qualifications. Yeah, you've heard the word before. Okay, so pick one. You know one what the word means, Avast. Just no one talks about. I'll pick my, so I'm going to pick my underrated player because I defended their songs going into the season, Elsa. 
Elsa, okay. the Chengdu Hunters. I mean, you've definitely I, picked someone underrated. Chengdu Hunters were underrated. <laughs> well, well, no, I'm just picking their player. No, because specifically, I would have picked Elsa regardless because people were really low on Elsa at the end of last year for some reason, even though Elsa looked really, really solid, like multiple times. And into this year, even though Chengdu Hunters are still doing some fucking papis shit all the time, they're at least... Elsa still re- continues to me to be like my other pick. If if they didn't look so tragic this year, would have been Michelle. But Michelle looks tragic this year, and so I can't pick Michelle. So that's okay. unlucky. Okay. Um, but Elsa, I think, has remained relatively consistent. So I will pick Elsa. The other person would have been like the other person would have been like fucking like I don't know, like and it's tough. It's tough. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna say about to Elsa. say. Who were you about to say? I, I, I don't like. You with a K? Or? It was gonna be. It was gonna be like Dawn from the Eternal. Um, <laughs> but wow. But to, I mean, because you I, are I, thinking, I well, hear me out. Hear me out. Underrated, underrated. underrated. Yeah. Hear me out. Hear me out. Because I legitimately think Dawn has a lot of potential and has shown some good moments for the roster. But the the roster is overall so poor and has been lacking synergy. That it's really tough as a main tank to stand out. Um, so, and, and I, I based off other previous performance I've seen from Don, I think he actually has like a lot of good things going for him. He just he just needs to be molded more and have the right team, like like most main tanks do um, as they enter. So, but overall, who's at least remained the most consistent, in having good performance is Elsa. So, I would stick with Elsa. All right, for my okay. Most Deepay, who are you going for? And tell me why it's skewed. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think. I actually fucking mentioned Magan. Why was that guy not a Rookie of the Year candidate? Uh, if if we believe Justice can be a good team, I I actually kind of forgot about Justice as a team. He has not looked like a Rookie of the Year so far. I think the kid's insane, but uh, maybe he hasn't shown it in matches. But I I, I see the kid, and I'm no. I'm pretty sure this kid's a phenom, like for sure. Yeah, he has the talent. He has the talent for sure. He definitely does. He yeah. just hasn't shown it yet. But I think for underrated uh, on that team, I, I think Assassin doesn't get talked about enough. I think it's a huge upgrade from Tuba. I don't know if Tuba's fucking playing ever. I'm pretty sure it's always Assassin. I yeah. think Assassin, like, uh, I felt the difference between Tuba playing and Assassin streams. And I feel like they've headed in the right direction of always playing Assassin uh, and always playing Decay. I, I feel like they, they kind of hit the nail on the hammer by those two. I think Assassin also, with Mag, gives them so much coordination your flex DPS and your main tank having coordination is like so important. With, at least right now, with like it being Echo and Monkey, like it, it's really important. I think Assassin on that team is really good. I think there's even uh, I rate like uh, Closer highly as well. I don't know how he's been doing like stats wise or anything, but I, I think he's a high quality player. I also think it, like again, uh, on or biasly, like I think my team like the people not talked about on my team like I don't know if she was talked about, uh, but like. Muse in space, I think will again. This is just based on how the second yeah, half yeah. will go. But okay. and I'm pretty sure we're winning this next tournament. We're winning right, this next okay. tournament. Okay. There it is. So, it in. Sure. so our socks will be way higher. You guys will have like some between uh summer showdown and countdown cup episode, and then you'll talk about underrated players, and then you'll gladiator players won't even be mentioned, I swear. But I think Justice has like a lot of underrated players, and then also like you look at Atlanta too. Like I think Gator and Hawk have been doing really well this year, and Iris uh, and Masa have been doing really well this year too. But Iris, you talk about damn Iris, Iris is a is great, a, pick. really most improved yeah. player too. But we saw so little of him from last year. I feel like 
that wasn't a fair like most yeah of yeah yeah barely yeah. saw him uh, Iris has Iris made a also... big difference to to the Atlanta Reign, though. I mean, just yeah. the integration towards the end of the season wasn't all there. But now that he's properly with the team, he is making a huge difference compared to the beginning of the season last year where they had Dogman and it just didn't look like it was at the same level. And this time around, yeah, Iris has been really good. He, I mean, I'd be down for him as my underrated player because I forgot that he was even a candidate because he's that underrated in my head. But yeah, that I do. Uh, it's a good shout. Yeah, it's a good shout. Do yeah, people talk shout. about Gator? Because like I, I think he's been doing really, really well. The the metas have favored him. I think. Oh, like he's been showing his color a lot with. I think his Aris is really great, and I think his Ryan's really great. And when he showed that off, like I think he's a really great Aris, a really great Ryan. So I'm. Like and Atlanta has like shown those colors uh, throughout the season. I feel like he's been doing really well too uh, on that team. Yeah. I don't know if he's like talked to. I don't think a he's lot no. He's not really talked up he, very much. He's at not. All. I mean, the thing is, it's tough for me to at least put him in like at least on the improved care like player category because I thought he was great last year on the metas where they played Arissa already. So like I didn't really rate him coming in. Like he didn't do anything differently. Anything like, different? Yeah. And like when I've seen him on the Winston, I would argue he's looked a bit better because his team's looking better. But I wouldn't say he himself individually has changed like much about his Winston right? play. Yeah. But like his Arisa was always really good, and so was Ryan. So to me, I don't, I wouldn't put him on the most improved player list simply because he seems to be performing exactly as I yeah. thought he was going to on those heroes. I've got yeah, but I put him in the underrated list for sure. That's fair. Okay. Yeah, underrated is fair. I have one more award that I want us to hand out for the midseason, and that is the biggest. Second half of the season, comeback or flop. Essentially, this is the award for whose second half of the season looks most different to their first half. And that could be because they got way better or it could be because they got way worse. And that so it could be because of the eye test or it could be results-based as well. It might be Houston a 7-1 at the beginning and they flop towards the end. It could even be... Dallas make both of the stage finals at the beginning, but they miss out in the second two, right? So that would be a bit of a flop compared to the incredible first half of the season that they've had. So this is very much a, a question that's based around their current first half of the season performance. And I understand it's a complex one. Haven't given you too much time to think here. Jonathan, kick us off, please. Biggest second half comeback slash flop now this is a difficult question because i think we have a lot of teams that are like in the mix you know like they're sort of middling you know so they're not they're not really deserving of a comeback if they actually start performing really well in the second half and there are a lot of teams that are like you know kind of okay as well that if they were to lose a few games it wouldn't be a big flop it wouldn't be like a big disaster um that said though can, can you say that um, I'm actually going to go with the Florida Mayhem here. Can you say the Florida Mayhem? They're four and four. Okay? Which way are you they're going? seventh in the standings. They're there's seventh two, in the standings. There's two options to go here, Johnny. Are you going, are you going? Are you going they're going to come back or they're going to flop? Um, well, I'm going come back here. Okay. Because they're a team. Team, I, I got a big team sorry. Team, it's team. 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 Yeah, because I think Florida Mayhem, they're very like middling right now. Obviously, they're like decent May Melee, but they only get a single league point from the May Melee playoffs. So even though they may did make make it, they only got an extra win. And that's all they had. And then I had a pretty disappointing June Joust, you know, where they didn't even make the they didn't even make the knockout matches. So I think that Florida Mayhem 
I could see them go for a bit of a run here. They had a pretty sh shitty hero pool. Like, they were pretty uncomfortable, it seemed like. Um, I, I think that Florida Mayhem, they could have a strong second half. Now, my other team that I, I was going to pick here, and I don't want to hog them all before I let you guys speak, but I could actually see maybe the New York Excelsior going for a bit of a comeback because they're okay. so underrated now, okay? Even though they made the APAC playoffs. They're three and five. They're third to last in the APAC region. And I think if they just elevate above and beat the likes of like Hangzhou Spark, Chengdu Hunters, maybe in a Philadelphia Fusion, Soul are going to Soul. Like, New York Excelsior, if they improved in the second half, could theoretically qualify for one more stage uh, playoffs or maybe even two if they get really lucky and somehow, uh, I don't know, miraculously improve. So those are some out of left field. Maybe. Uh, I don't under, I, I, I'm trying to figure out. So, was there a reasoning for New York, or you're just like, they could do this? Because the sun could explode any second, too. And, like, so I don't know. So, what's, the, what's, what's going on? Is there, what's the reasoning here? I, no, I think they, I think they have. I, okay. I don't, I'm not standing on the most solid ground right now. I'm standing on like mud, you know? It's not like sinking sand, I've asked, but I'm standing on mud right now. It's not cement. It's not mountains. It was, it's not ironclad. I don't even know mm -hmm. what ironclad is. I just said it. But I, it's not the most solid ground. I feel like New York Excelsior, given how hyped up they were in the preseason, they have individual players like Flora, like Jonak, and Jakpung and Bianca just set this team back like decades of... <laughs> uh, just like you technology can't be advancements. They set them back decades. The this game has, has to be, this has to be the most brutal episode yet. David's out here, just like, yeah, I think this player is dog shit. Like we just have, we have Yakpun and Bianca. Like, damn, we're brutal today. No, I, I, I feel like Yakpun and Bianca. Like, I, I really do feel like they've been a weak point for this team. And if they just yes. step it up a little bit on that uh, monkey and diva, I do feel like they could be at least. Very competitive in the APAC region, especially with how some of those teams have been struggling. So, um, yeah, I think New York Excelsior, given how poo they've been, the first initial stages, yes, they made a knockout, but it was, or like they made the playoffs, but it wasn't impressive at all. So, I feel like they could potentially be a bit more dominant in the APAC region. Um, Can I just say that I hate the APAC region as a whole? Because oh, we all Shang do. Shanghai is the only good team, and then the rest is just like, pandora's fucking box uh of like what's gonna happen this week on who's competent and who's not uh yeah but yes. i think that's a good pool to pick from is like these really inconsistent teams. someone has to be the least bad in that region i oh. think so yeah i mean yeah, yeah. you guys go ahead i don't want to i want to hold the I microphone have, because i, I think two completely different, different picks to go with. i have two totally different picks from anybody that you've mentioned as well the two teams that come to my mind the number one is the houston outlaws Right, they're seven and one. They've had an easy strength of schedule. You would expect them okay. to decline more as the season goes on, rather than continue a uh, what even is that? Is that like eighty percent win streak essentially? What is seven out of eight as a percentage? <laughs> I can't do math. Something something high anyway. Something really high. So overall, you're expecting them, in my opinion, to be 
probably a team that struggles in the second half of the season. For a comeback team, I'm thinking the Guangzhou Charge. Now, that isn't necessarily based on Sungwoo themselves coming into the head coach position, but I feel like this team just has way too much talent to be complete shit forever in APAC. And they just, they have been. They've been awful. And even though I wasn't high on the charge this season, I didn't think they'd be down at the absolute bottom. So even if they get some stuff together, their second half of the season should look vastly better than the first half did. How many, how many wins do they even have? They have one, two. They, have they can't have very no, many. They're, they're two me, and six, see. and New York are three and five. Yeah, so two, two and wins. six. Like, I feel like that team, all right, maybe they can't turn it around and go six and two, but they can at least go... They, well, maybe they can't at least go even, but they could try to trend towards even in the second half of the season. They have they have at least the talent to go even in APAC in such an inconsistent region. And so if they get it together a bit, they're my comeback team. I'll go next. Uh, my comeback is also Mayhem. I think there's no reason. I think I think that team still has enough solid fun fundamentals. They have good enough players to where they should probably do much better. They got... They've been, I mean, their May Melee was relatively fine for them. They struggled a bit, but they picked it up towards the end. They just played tough teams. And then this last summer, and then June Joust, the meta was just really bad for them. Um, yeah, it was. Honestly. Look at that. So I, I think that fun. May, I think Mayhem should be fine throughout the season. I mean, unless it's like a collapse of sorts where they just can't get their shit together. But I don't have any reason to doubt Kuki so far on the coach to like at least teach them some of the fundamental stuff they've been missing. And the, me the, me the meta should be better. Flop teams. Now, I'm going to have a slightly different flop team. Even though, because they already kind of are of a flop. But I think they're just an overall flop for the whole year. The Boston Uprising. The Boston Uprising, I think, people, most notably, Jonathan, was like huge on Boston coming into this year. <laughs> and... I was not. I was like, you know, this roster doesn't look bad, but I still don't see how they're going to, like, fix their shit, especially once they don't have a Tracer player anymore when they lost soon. And uh, Gable, she tips the scales a bit, I think, for this team. Uh, because I do think he's way better than Punk on the majority of the heroes you're going to be playing, other than maybe Sigma. But I feel like he could probably learn to be better on the Sigma as well, uh, and because I think he's really talented. But overall, the amount of talent on this roster should not signify where they currently stand. And also, they had an extremely hyped Korean contenders coach coming in, and I feel like that is a situation as well that has not panned out. Yeah, okay. DP, what That you was for, for flop. You said flop, sorry. That's why flop, flop, because some people should be expecting them to do better because they, get, they have Gableshi full-time now. And like but they essentially, have more what you're saying is that they're going to continue the same. I think they're going to continue to flop. I think they're going to do it the way of the Dogecoin. I think okay. they're crashing. <laughs> the way of think, the Dogecoin. I think it's over. That is phenomenal. Um, all right, Deepay, what are you going wow. with? Yeah, uh, I think the Los Angeles Valiant will be... No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Sure. They'll just move, come back 8-8, eight and eight, make a run through the playoffs, just dominate these tournaments. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think for the people, there's people who's just over-indexed, and if I had to pick one, I, I agree fully that it's the, the Houston Outlaws, right? Like, something's got to drop from 7-1. and one. Like, that's just too high of a win rate, given, like, kind of where I expected you to be. Um, but I don't think it will be, like, a huge downfall. Like, uh, so I'm not sure how big, but it's probably the the one with the biggest room for 
balance, right? Given that you're seven and one, you can bury from that. If you even go four and four, that's a that's a flop. That's a three game right, diff. Right. So exactly. I'm I'm down for that pick just because they're they're indexed really high. Uh I again I I think we're gonna fucking dominate this next tournament, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, I'm telling you, we've made the coaching changes. We we got the style going on. Like okay. I uh, I think it's us, but un unbiasedly. <laughs> just checking unbiasedly, my PayPal. Sorry, just checking my PayPal, making sure that you made the uh made the deposit. Oh yeah, carry on. No, carry on. You guys will sound crazy when we're just dominating this next tournament. Anyway, but I feel like uh, I can't say comeback. No, you guys have still been doing pretty just, well. Like six and two. That's how hard we're gonna dominate the. You know, there's, oh, there can't be much so it's just that, you know, eight and zero geez, winning every stage because that is a comeback from six and two. Yeah, like, we're you guys, gonna win the next two stages. The thing is, Boom. I would already define the gladiator story in the first half as a comeback because it went from two and right. two to four and zero. That is a comeback story. But from six and two, there isn't that much room to actually like. You're not under index. So I don't feel like that's <laughs> this even guy's feasible. The limit side show. The sky's the limit. Okay. <laughs> Okay, no, let's no, hear no. a comeback. I think the the comeback. I, I don't know if this counts either, but I think Justice is like this close to being actually good. Uh, yeah. I don't know yeah. if they actually have the tools, but I really think that they. I believe highly in their player quality. I don't really know too much about their coaching staff, but I don't really believe in their coaching staff. So that that's a problem. But I, when I want to say a comeback team, I don't want to say like a mediocre team is going to be slightly less mediocre. I want to like give you guys like a top end team that will actually be like good and like perform well in these tournaments. I don't want just like this shitty team will turn into a less shitty team. Uh, that to me isn't oh. like a good enough comeback. That's why I think oh. Justice has the potential of like being these tournament winners if they figure shit out. But I don't have personally. I don't have much faith in them. I don't like uh, believe in them. But I also don't know what's going on internally. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they they have the player quality. I I think for like making these huge wins in these. Uh, yeah, so I want to give like a top end team. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I like it. There's your predictions for the future, fans of the Overwatch League. And now for real predictions, ones that you can stake your life on. You can take these to the bank because this isn't just this isn't just some some idiots picking them. Wait, no, it is some idiots picking them. We're gonna oh. pick them. Um, we're gonna start with everybody's pick. For the first match of the Plat Chat Top 5 Pick'ems of the Week, it's the LA Gladiators against the San Francisco Shock. Run the graphic, Kurt. It's the Gladiators v. the Shock. Okay, Deepay Deepay and Jonathan have gone with the Gladiators with myself and Avast going for San Francisco. Um... I want to start with Jonathan before we get into David because I know I know that David's gonna gas his team. Are up. we even allowed to ask David the I question? Don't even know why. There were two predictions in here, and I was like, "Man, what am I supposed to?" Well, say? I want to see. Here's the thing, though. I want to hear the reasoning for Jonathan before I hear the propaganda. So I want to hear, you know, like the analysis and then the the reasons why Deepay is confident, and then we can talk about why we think the shock is gonna crush Deepay's spirit. Okay. So Johnny. Okay, I think the San Francisco Shock, they had a pretty grand old time in, in the hero pools. They did. Uh, they were playing uh, Washington Justice. I was throwing me off for a bit. Uh, uh, blah, 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 San Francisco Shock. Uh, they play like mini goats. Play like mini goats with Winston. Um, I think that they benefited massively from that um, and looked good because of it. But I think moving away from hero pools, um, they're actually going to uh, decline a little bit in performance when some of these compositions open up. 
Um, and also, uh, you know, I'm on the Gladius train here a little bit. I think they're a really good team. Um, I think they're a well-rounded team. I think they could play many different styles. The tempo is there. The aggression that DPS talked about now for like two, three seasons is really looking good. The synergy is <laughs> there. So I think the shock coming off here, pools. I think they're going to struggle a little bit. I think they're vulnerable. And Gladius and his hype man are going to capitalize on that and strike them early here in the qualifier matches. So I got the Glads. Okay. Well, that sounded enough like propaganda. So, Depot, why are you confident in being able to take it over the shock? They're still a scary team. They're 7-1 overall when it comes to their, their regular season. They really haven't lost games until it comes to beating the giants of whatever that meta is. There's only, in my opinion right now, there's only three that I think can flex league. Just be, like, they have the uh, championship mental. I think it's shock just because of their history. Shanghai and Dallas. Every other team, I, I think, is like mentally weak. Uh, and like, we need to be in that tier. I think this will be the match that's like really exciting for everyone to watch. Uh, but like, I think just going into the reasons why we're going to win, I've, I've changed up the coaching style uh, going into the second half of the season. Uh, like stylistically in our play, not like how I coach, but like stylistically in our play. And I think it'll be really clear. We're going to be like a really exciting team to watch i think is what i can say but like it'll be really clear that we're gonna have like something that we go into and just really believe in this and like johnny said we have flexibility which is great so we can change any comp we want and we can still like maintain that style i i think like that is something that was clear to me from the fuel uh success is like they maintain a style kind of throughout and like we were kind of like fucking around uh with comps and like just Kind of figuring out where where our holes are, where our, our strengths are. And I think we're halfway through the season now. I have a really accurate gauge of like what my players' ability are, but I also just don't give a fuck and, and want them to play the way I want to play now. Like I think I've catered to how the players wanted to play for uh a little bit, and I don't really care how the players want to play. Like I want to play my way and have them execute. So I, I think like you're gonna see a very different style of gladiators going into this second half of the season, I think. So I think it'll like show uh, in this series. Hopefully, it'll show and be clear in this series. But I think that's like the logical reason as to why. Okay, cryptic as well because you don't want to reveal too much. Are we talking compositional or play style? Generally, it can be both. I I can kind of like go into it more as okay as the season right. develops. But, All yeah. right, well we'll have to we'll have to catch up on that one. Avast, I don't know whether you feel the same, but I still have a lot of respect for the Shock in terms of just their ability to get results when it matters. It doesn't matter if it's a three-map series or a five-map series. They're going to be able to grind it out and get the victory. And I think that I think the Gladiators did very well in the June Joust, particularly because they were able to demonstrate a large amount of flexibility. I don't know what the meta is going to look like as we return. I haven't been watching scrims or anything like that. But in my head, if I imagine it similarly to how to the direction that the May Melee was going in, now, now that doesn't take into account the patch changes and stuff, but they don't seem to be vast changes in there. But if if I'm thinking about this from the May Melee point of view, I think that. In those kind of metas, if we allow the Shock enough time to figure out what they want to do with Violet, they should be considerably better than what they showcased when it came to their, their May performances. I think this team is a sleeping giant, and the second half of the season is where they start to warm up a little bit more. So this isn't necessarily me just believing in the Shock for this game. I actually think for the rest of the season, the Shock should really be waking up. Uh, yeah, 
I agree with that. I think Rusty is going to get the the chicken dinner chug jug with Andy, the wacky credit card numbers on Andy Miller, the back of Andy Miller's credit card at the end, and they're going to achieve victory. And oh, also, yeah. I personally do think the changes are going to change them for a bit because specifically the echo changes. Because I don't think Shock has understood how to play around Echo very well so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think the Echo change, and also the Moira, which is technically it's a Moira nerf, but it's like sort of a buff, but it's also kind of a nerf. So I, I think the Moira changes and the Echo changes are both relatively big for the Shock because I think those are two areas they've been struggling on. Even though Nero themselves had de- pretty, pretty relatively solid individual performances, I don't think they've understood how to play Echo um, particularly right. well around it. Um, in addition, I think generally it takes some time for the crusty crack pipe to cool down and like they figure out their player rotation and how they want to actually set up. And if they just commit to a very a proper player rotation, they look a lot better. To me, this isn't a lot, this isn't gonna be like a shock difference of like, oh, they're beating Gladiator because they're just a way better team. It's more so they're gonna hone out the fact that some of their rough edges and it's gonna be a close series with shock just going back to shock caliber. Okay. Much. All right, I want to move on to our next match of the week that we've got coming up. This is over in the APAC region. It is the Seoul Dynasty playing against the Chengdu Hunters. And here we have Chengdu across the board, other than David, David. who picks the Seoul Dynasty and walks off in disgust. What? Um, I I think he had something. No, he said he had to go get something, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh, Why why are you guys... Like half an hour. Why are you guys comfortable in Chengdu? I, I I don't trust the Soul Dynasty. I don't know about you, I've asked, but I yeah, feel that's it. That's literally it. Yeah, that's it. I I honestly I just feel the same way. I think that Chengdu also maybe without Hero Pools will now be a little more comfortable with what they're able to play. They looked yes. uh, the whole of APAC looked like a mess in the June Joust, but I'm anticipating it returns back to some kind of. I think if Chengdu is just allowed to do what it wants, they will look like a relatively a pretty decent team. Like, if they have no constrictions at all, if they're just able to go full polybridge and just build these monstrosities of compositions, like, that's what I feel like Hunters are going to succeed because they still have not reined in any of the silliness. I thought they reined it in when they brought in Gaga and they brought in a functional main tank. And I was like, okay, silly levels decreasing. Like, here we go. We're getting less. <laughs> but then they're like, no, fuck it. Among just coming in still. And we're doing, like, other weird shit. Gaga's going to do weird shit. And like, okay, well, like, I I don't I don't know I don't know I mean we, they literally brought back their enabler with Ray, um so I um I think this team just needs to have no restrictions it needs to it needs to be a wild stallion roaming okay. free with no boundaries a wild stallion, a wild panda stallion. yes so and I'm just I who knows what David says but I'm should we move on uh, yeah I'm gonna move on here because I believe yeah. that David picked the same team in the next game as well which is the Hangzhou Spark against the Seoul Dynasty back-to-back Seoul games this week and again he is the sole person going with the Seoul Dynasty while the wow. rest of us go with okay. the Spark here as well this is a, a clear difference in direction again I it's not that I don't think Seoul are going to be good it's just that I have no faith in them being able to perform and I do actually think the Spark so the Spark were trying to play double bubble when it came to the June Joust. So they they just want to play that shit. They want to put Gushu on Winston. They want to have Shy play the Ash or the Echo. That's where they're going to be good. So I think this should be a stage to rejuvenate your your faith in the Spark. David, you've picked Soul as the only person in both of their games. Why do you believe in the Tiger, in the Korean Tiger? Why do you believe in Gesture? 
six and two. No, that like I know like their quality of the game that maybe doesn't look that good, but I, I I am a big believer in gesture and profit. I'm a big believer in their players, like their key players that they always have like match effectiveness. Uh, Hangzhou is the opposite of that. I I I really like their roster. I think with the vast, I rated their roster highly, but like it's hard to utilize twelve really good players. Seoul like have more clearly defined rotations. I just think. Soul has like a good team, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't feel super strongly about any of the APAC results because, again, like, fuck me if I know what's going on in APAC week to week. Like, they they are so confusing. I've stopped looking at them. Like last year, I looked at them a lot. This year, I've stopped looking at them. Uh, but I think Soul has that player quality, and like, I, I pretty much never want to count out Soul in a match, especially yeah. versus Hongzhou, who I think is kind of been the definition of mediocre. Sure. Um. Let's move on to the next game, which, again, is another Gladiators game. We are taking on the Los Angeles Gladiators against the Paris Eternal here. And everybody has gone with the Gladiators. Yeah. Okay, yeah, more simping on the episode. What's I, I would have made an argument if it was still previous meta for Paris, potentially, but not okay. this upcoming one. I've not asked, sell me the win conditions for Paris. You haven't predicted them, but I want you to just give me a, a lowdown uh... of what, what would Paris have to do in order to win this match? I mean, the big thing is, I just, I mean, I don't know their own win conditions now, honestly, because Echo's out of the pool, and that's what they look so good with, was with the Echo. Well, I mean, it's not going to be out of the it's pool. It's not out. Say, but it's been nerfed, and I'm I'm not sure. I, I haven't been since City and Scrims, right? So I don't know what the usage rate is. David, could you give us a, is it too much of a sneak to tell us how, if the Echo usage rate is still high? It's playable. That's it's pretty playable. Much. Playable. It's play yeah, yeah. It's like a high praise to me. That's not a high praise <laughs> comment. Is that when you say it's playable, a lot of things are playable. So I think, um, to me, when I hear that Echo is playable, uh, I think that this hurts Paris very heavily. So I look more like, okay, where are where's our ta is our tank lane going to have the synergy we want? Probably not. We have like a. I think their backline's decent, honestly, right now. With Khan and Dredro, um, even despite the internet issues, but then you've removed like the most impactful part of their DPS lineup. So I don't, I really don't know what their win condition is. Fair currently. enough. I just don't know what it is. Fair enough. That's perfectly fine. Um, let's move on to our final game that we have picked out. It's the Boston Uprising taking on the Florida Mayhem here. Boston Simps in shambles because we've all picked yeah. the Florida Mayhem. Even Jonathan, who is the biggest sympathizer yeah. of the Boston Uprising, can't justify this decision. Uh, nope. Jonathan, is this just Mayhem getting back in their groove? Yes, this is the Mayhem getting back to their groove. I wouldn't even be surprised if they just came out and play like stage one stuff. No? Why would they not? Sure. You mean just one. like yeah. Yaki, Yaki back on his tracer, just OG playing Winston, that kind of stuff? Yeah, that kind of stuff. I definitely think, think at least now when Hero Pulse is gone, and like maybe David disagrees with me here, I feel like teams will just default to whatever their comfort zone is. Like I could even see some teams with the Hero Pool reintroduced, maybe even like leaning back to some of the stuff they played in June Joust if it really worked for them. I don't have a team on the top of my head, but um, it depends on how so strong Tracer is. So they'd go back into Rush. From May Melee, or they go back into no, so, yeah, they go back into like May yeah. Melee stuff. Or if they're if they were like a really good June Joust team, like the Atlanta Rain, I guess the Atlanta Rain figured out in the end though that like dive is ultimately better than double shield composition. But I mean, and all they, that could, stuff. You, they could try and play like Mario Lucio comps or something With like Sen? that. You know, Some maybe we'll see how much play Sen gets, but um, I yeah, I, I 
I think teams that have success in the main melee, like the Florida Mayhem, which we're talking about now, I think they're going to uh, go back and play like the main melee stuff because that worked for them. And, you know, it will be a bit like we're going back in time when it comes to the compositions and stuff like that. So I think Florida Mayhem will be a big benefit of that. I don't know about long term, like if that's going to work long term. We'll see what the meta will be now when um, the likes of Echo are nerfed. But I think that at least um, starting off strong, the okay. Florida Mayhem will get a win here. All right. Nice. We have one final segment, which is, of course, the most important segment. And what is that? Ah, whisperings coming through the air conditioning units. Oh, really? Bren is speaking to me from upstairs. Let me tap into his energy for Bren's Player of the Week presented by T-Mobile. And you know what? I don't even have to listen to Bren for this one because it's a slam dunk. It's an absolute easy oh, pick. Yeah. There are no problems in the slightest with selecting this one because, in fact, there's two Bren's Player of the Weeks this week presented by T-Mobile. It's Custer and Sab. They recently oh. got Woo! engaged. I mean, I think it happened yesterday. Huge congratulations yeah. to the couple. Obviously, friends of the show, they work on the Overwatch League as well, or at least Custer does. And Sab used to be around it all the time as well. Uh, they went out on a sailboat. They proposed. Uh, Custer's looking, uh, looking all right, I suppose. Yeah, they look. I mean, look at these photos. Look at Custer in these photos. He's so funny, man. I mean, this is just a lovely, happy one. But there was another one of him proposing that was just I just found incredibly funny as well. He's um, he's he's a wonderful gangly human. Gangly <laughs> <laughs> human. No, I mean, I, I couldn't be happier for them as well. That's, um, there's a cute picture of Arya, their cat, as well. Yeah, it's, uh, they're very much an esports power couple, for sure. And uh, oh, yeah. they're very happy together as well. And I wish them all the best for the future, too. Um, plus, where, where were they? Where you're just running around on a sailboat? And what's with boating in the off Running around on a sailboat? I mean, yeah, I mean, they're on, a, they're on a fucking sailboat. This is like the Overwatch League casters have turned into the most middle-class people. The desk is just rampant with, with middle-class sailboating, apparently. We've got Jonathan going cruising in the Atlantic Ocean with T-Mobile. And then we've also got Custer just proposing in the middle of who the fuck knows where, some body of water as well. I've... I'm 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 a working class Chichima man. I'm afraid of drowning. Is underrated, man. Yeah. Land is overrated. Water <laughs> is underrated. Yeah, the key as, as component as... for life on Earth is underrated. <laughs> yeah, people don't talk about it. All of life possible on I, the planet meant, that we I live. Meant, I meant water as a a, a habitual uh, <laughs> uh, a habitual uh, means of uh, fuck. <laughs> living like yes. you can be on the water like you can be on the ocean of Africa. i don't think like it is underrated i don't think i don't think it is either, jonathan i i think there's been a very strong maritime culture throughout all of human history in fact so i i don't think it's underrated i think people have been sailing boats we for don't a talk really about, long time in this day and age in 2021 we don't talk about sailboats and casual boating enough Mate, all it's we all talk we've about talked about it's all I don't have the money to casually boat. I don't have the what, what money do I have to boat, Johnny? Don't talk about boating. I have no fucking money to boat. What, what, what are you talking about, Johnny? I'm boating enough. What, what's next? I'm gonna get my helicopter. I don't know who is. This dude. People don't no, talk about helicopter enough. How? No, I, I'm just. I looked I, into I, buying a boat. Uh, it costs a lot to have a boat. It's like very inefficient. Oh, oh yeah, you have to, like yep. pay for a license. You and looked it's into buying system. a boat again. 
where are people getting the money to go out on sailboats? I don't all the even time? like. I've never it's sailed nice. once. It's yeah. crazy. Oh, I just had the boat. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a car, but I was like, you know what? A boat would be it boats <laughs> like a car on water. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. You can live on a boat. There was a TF2 streamer, actually. There was a TF2 streamer that lived on a boat, and I was yes, always stabby, confused stabby. as to how... Yeah, yeah, how did he have internet connection? I don't know. Uh, because if you live in... It was a boat house, specifically. And so, because there are boat houses. And so, if you live on, like, a pier or a wharf, I believe you can get Wi-Fi. Internet, though. Yeah. No, you, you can also... You can even run... You could, you, could, you could run Ethernet, theoretically, but I think it was Wi-Fi. You could so. use T-Mobile's 5G connection as well, and it doesn't, doesn't yeah, matter you if you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, how do, do you think Custer uploaded those pictures, by the way? He's, he's you know, taking a selfie of him propose, proposing, and then he's out in the middle of, I don't know, where was he, in the middle of the Pacific or something, just taking a cruise out there on his tiny sailboat, and he's just, oh, yeah, got T-Mobile 5G. Pops him up online. Everybody's congratulating him. I'm sure that's exactly how it went. Uh, but there you go. That's a very, very obvious Brent's Player of the Week, I feel. Um, and a, a nice way to round out an incredibly long mid-season episode. Sorry for stealing so much of your time, David, but it's, uh, it is interesting to be able to catch up with you as well. I believe that we're going to have some of the Gladiators players on in future back chat episodes when we launch our interview series, but we'll have to work out the, uh, the logistics of that. In the meantime, subscribe to the channel. One more thing, Josh. Oh, there is one more thing. One more thing? One more thing. There is one more thing. we get more thing. members? An important thing. Welcome to member. And we did get some more members on the channel, actually. So we want to we wanna read them out. First of all, Tomo Jono, welcome to member. Blake Van Pook. Van Pauk? Welcome to member. Blake Van Pauk, I'm going to say there. Barnett, Charla Von Charlie, The Law, by the way. It's Nerdy a large Spoink. member. Giga member. Tier oh, 3. Giga member. Charla, Chon Giga member. Char Charla Con Charlie. These people, man. Giga member and Psycho Lab as well down at the bottom. Giga also member Giga as well. Member. Tier three, appreciate it. Virtual Tibbs and Nerdy Spoink, welcome to member as well. And the Thank law, you. by the way, very much appreciate it. Wait, these are all new. Oh, more. God. Oh. oh god, there's another Giga member with Matthias. All right, there's Vinny a tier two. There's hey, a large you? member. Corey Bochamp, Paul H O twenty four. What is that? The chemical formula for? Suds and Bubbles, welcome to member all of you. And then Matthias Marley. Avast. Welcome to member. Yeah, the Giga, Giga member. member thing. I wanted you to Giga say member. The, yeah, you, you're to not Giga on the member. ball, man. You're not on the ball. I'm Jimmy, not. Okay. Jimmy the Rabbit, Zachary Amaris, and. Hey, you are you. Yes. Hey, you are well, you. Welcome to, to large member. member. Large welcome member. Large. Um, Andrea oh, and Andre. da Silva, another large member. Thank you very much. Mark Brooks, welcome to member. Nathan Loon, Jared O'Loughlin. O'Loughlin, yeah. Jared O'Loughlin, I think that's Lock probably Loughlin. an Irish name. Possibly how you pronounce it. If I've butchered any pronunciation of your names, by the way, just rinse me in the comments section. I am an uncultured Philistine, as we know from many episodes of this. Um, welcome to so, all that is left for me to say is thank you, David, for uh, joining us again. And uh, we'll have another episode coming towards you next week. Same time, same place on the Plat Chat Podcast channel.